Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's the Jeff Gerstman Show coming to you live from a bunker in Southern California, where they build them tough. I don't know what I don't know what they where the where Mickey Mouse right now. I guess that's Florida. Um, where we do it Hollywood style. Does that does that make sense? No. Hmm. Well, anyway, I'm your host for this week's installment of the program. My name is Jeff Gerstman. Hello. Um, I'm happy to be here uh, with you, the viewer. We're here to talk about uh, a variety of things. I don't know, video games and, and so on and so forth. Hey, you're at the top of the show. If you're uh, if you're uh, interested in getting an ad-free version of this podcast, we have an additional podcast. We have... Uh, you know, early access to episodes of shows, all sorts of stuff for you over on the Patreon. That's patreon.com slash Jeff Gerstman. That's uh, enjoyyourgaming.com. Dopeassvideogames.com is another URL that will get you there. Hopefully one of those stuck to your brain. Head over there and, uh, and give it a look if you're interested in, in such a thing. And, uh, you know, hey, if you're just here, hey, hi. If you're just here, you're just here. Hey, what's going on? This podcast is available wherever podcasts are available. And also YouTube and Twitch. We're on Twitch right now. I think. I hope. Hello, everyone. Um, well, gosh, what's been going on last week? You know, it's uh, It's been a, uh, a devastating week around these parts. My son got sick. And, uh, well, I don't... I, 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 he got sick. He got something's going. Something's going on with that guy something's going on with that. He's uh he's 17 months, which is crazy to think about. But um yeah, these past uh handful of of days here, he he got uh, a really bad chunky cough and stuff. But also he's teething really hard. So I guess like the thing is when teeth are coming in, people go, "Oh, well they'll get fevers. Oh, well they'll get this, they'll get this." And my understanding is that that's not directly true. But when you have a tooth coming in, you might be susceptible to infection. And in a way, that can lead to some of those symptoms. Anyway, I think he just got a cold, honestly. Um, I don't think it's necessarily because he's he's over it for the most part. He's still he's still uh, coughing it out a little bit. But uh, yeah, these these last few nights, he's been I honestly he's been a he's been a trooper through it. The whole thing. He's his his spirit was uh like he was smiling, crawling around, having a good time, like doing his thing. He was just like, wait a minute, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, he, he, um, he did a fantastic, uh, he did a fantastic job being sick. My daughter was sick just before that, but that almost seemed like allergies. I don't know. That came and went real fast too. My wife and I were fine the whole time. You know, it's one of those things that, you know, the, the kids are just going to sick, get sick over and over again, but they get sick, which touch such a minor load of stuff or, or it's stuff that most adults have already had. And so, you know, you, you don't really have to worry about it. There was a bit there that I was like, am I getting sick? feels like I might be getting a little something, something. And then, and then no, but uh, you know, it, you never know with this stuff. I don't know. That's the thing as, as, as we kind of, um, you know, as, as we're out and about a little bit more, you know, there's, uh, there's just going to be more time for them to be exposed to illness of of all sorts um and you know these past few years of you know not uh, of, of not going out and doing much you know they're they're due for they're they're due for some stuff we're all due 
or some colds and sinus stuff and 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 whatever else um let's see what else so we uh i talked about it on a separate stream but just to catch everybody up uh i did get that monitor i got that lg monitor um and set it all up and i've been working with that for the past handful of days here and it's cool man it so this is a 27 inch monitor the, the people want to know the, the exact model number it's the 27GR95QE-B. And so it's the 27-inch Ultra Gear OLED gaming monitor. And um, I like it a lot. It's awesome. It is, it is a 240 hertz monitor. It, just, it does G-Sync and FreeSync. It's 1440p, which I, I feel like is a really good sweet spot for a monitor. I don't really want... As someone who has a 4K monitor and has, has had nothing but trouble with um stuff like OBS and stuff like text scaling and and everything there. I hate 4K monitors on PCs, fuck them. <laughs> but um 1440p is, is sweet. And so this is really combining all of the things I you know, you want in a PC monitor or you know that that felt like it was always a zillion dollars. This is still a $1000 monitor it is not that is not it's not a cheap monitor, but when you think about getting these sorts of things onto one screen before, even you know in a poorer configuration, some of those things were still like three thousand dollars, just stupid like stupid money. So when when LG announced this and said, "Hey, we're putting this out for a grand," I was like, "Yep, okay, I'll get that. Yes, I want one of those." And um. You know, as someone who's owned LG TVs in the past, I was like, yeah, no, that, that's that's something I, I want for. That is something I want for my personal computer. And um, it's great. HDR is one of those things that uh, I feel like has been very dicey on Windows for a very long time. Um, I have not had much trouble with it at all. Streaming it out is, is a little troublesome. Uh, the solution seems to be to turn it off, but also... So HDR is like a different, I, I don't even know the description of HDR. It's, um, it's, it's, it's high dynamic range. And so it's a, it's a more dynamic range of colors and, and, and luminance, whatever, you know, like bright and whatever you want to call it. And, and so the, um, it is a wider range than most screens can display. So if I am playing in HDR and you do not have an HDR screen, it will look washed out and fucking weird. Um, and, and and bad. So what they do is there's something called tone mapping that will take an HDR signal and try to map it down to something that approximates what it should look like on a regular display. And I guess OBS will do this, the streaming software that I'm using to come to you right now. Um will do some of this tone mapping and so in in such a way that I could conceivably if I configure all of this correctly and I am the wrong person to do this, but I'm going to give it a shot one of these days here. I could be playing games in HDR. I could be recording the footage in HDR uh, so that when a, an archive gets uploaded to YouTube or, or you know, which, a, which is a platform that does support HDR, um, people could conceivably watch it that way. And then it would also stream out on Twitch in SDR in a way that would look normal and fine. That's a tall order. Uh, especially for someone who is colorblind is just going to look at this stuff and go like, I don't know. Um, but I will say HDR, HDR is interesting because I feel like the legacy of HDR in games is a really strange 
thing because it, it's before we had HDR displays and all of that. HDR is something that like you saw like remember Half Life Lost Coast that was it's called Lost Coast the 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 Half Life thing that was like here's a little Half Life tech demo and it does HDR lighting. And it's, it was the thing of like, you're in a tunnel and you walk out of the tunnel and it's so bright and then it adjusts and your eyes adjust. And it was like one of the first games that I, one of the first things I remember doing that. Um, and then, you know, that, that kind of went around into, into games, but that's, you know, HD, HDR as we know it now is a number of different formats actually, but you know, it, it is a way for contrast to exist in a, in a wider scale and, you know, displays have to support it and, and so on and so forth. It's a, it's a, a bunch of uh, tech gibberish that means uh, basically going indoors to outdoors, outdoors to indoors, but also just the kind of the way lighting can look, the way lights can look in games um, can be really awesome with an HDR display, I'll say. It's a, it's a weird can be a minor distinction to some folks, but I, I I actually like it quite a bit, especially when paired with an OLED screen, which uh, you know assists with with all of that stuff, and um, and having all of that here in a PC monitor has been fantastic. You know, as someone who's like, because it's always been a split of like, well, I want to have G Sync support, I want to have, um. So I want I want to have that that type of frame rate that's really vital to me on a PC, um, and and I really want to have the right resolution a 1440p resolution like you know like but then you basically can't have an OLED you can't have HDR and 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 now it's all it's all it all goes into one thing and that's been pretty great. The downsides of this monitor, um, so one of them is maybe a me thing uh, I'll grant you, but the it, the, the it's um. There are some adjustments you have to get used to with it. And um, for starters, it is an LG device, much like the LG TVs, and it does have a remote control. The power button on this remote control is the exact same as the power button on the remote control for your LG TV. So as someone who has the TV in the same room, When I turn on the TV, it turns off the monitor. This sucks so much. <laughs> this is so annoying. This has already been. So my son loves to grab this remote and then just hit every button on it. And the number of times uh, my daughter used to grab it, she's, she's less interested in it nowadays, but she has almost signed me up for Disney plus before. Like she is all, you know, um, Ah, and so I need to look and see if there's a way to, you know, if there's a way to remap power, but, you know, cause I know that's, that is a thing in some cases, but, um, Oh, that is very frustrating. So hopefully that's something I can adjust. I have not had time to look into that just yet. There's, I haven't seen anything in the TV settings that, uh, that lead me to think that's an easy thing, but maybe there is some operator modes, you know, advanced, whatever, whatever solution for that. Um, the other thing is that people with OLEDs, and I am not one of these people. I am like, screw it, man. If it happens, it happens. If if the TV dies, it dies. But people are terrified about burn-in on OLED screens. Um, and so in the context of a PC, 
where you've got um, icons on a desktop and you've got static things that sit on a desktop for a good long time. On top of your Windows level screensaver, Windows level, you know, hey, we're going to turn off the monitors after two hours or, you know, whatever. The monitor has a built in like we have not detected movement in a long time and we're just going to we're just going to turn this monitor. We're just going to go into screensaver mode here and the monitor will shut down after I want to say like 10 minutes. I This is something I have started to look for in settings and have not found a setting to disable this um, at all which I thought was a little, here we go, here we go. Automatic standby, off, deep sleep mode is on, input compatibility, remote setting. Hmm, hmm, okay. There, maybe I did just find something that can, that can help me, but it, it doesn't look like it actually helps with the, because I have automatic standby turned off, and yeah, there's nothing in here that seems to be, um, that seems to 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 deal with that anyway so that will um so that will kick on the other thing is that uh oled screens will occasionally be like hey we need to do some image cleaning to you know to uh, it's another thing that can help prevent burnout so sometimes when you turn off the tv or, or you know it'll be like hey uh we're gonna run image cleaning for a while and um you can turn on your tv but it means that this isn't gonna be finished and so we're gonna keep trying to run it until your tv's off long enough for it to complete. This does that way more often than the TV does. And so I think there's a certain amount of like terrifying, like, Oh no, we don't want there to be a lot of burn in on these screens. Um, and, and so they are, they are biasing in favor of having these things like shut off over and over again. Um, sometimes like, you know, it's, it's the sort of thing where, like moving a ma- like I, so I have three monitors here and so I'll be working over on this monitor and I'll uh, maybe I'll sit here and watch a video for example on monitor 3 um and then this thing will just shut down in the middle of it like oh god I have to and then, and then I'll wake it up because I'm oh, I guess I am supposed to be over here doing this and not watching that over there and um and it's um that stuff's a little weird I think it comes from the right place. I know they, they don't want to have, um, you know, they don't want to have a bunch of burn in and, and, and all of that on, on the TVs, on the screens. Um, but it's a weird, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it, this, this doesn't seem to have, so what, what some TVs will do is they will have a pixel shift option and it will just kind of move the image around. So things that would normally be burned onto a screen, are are kind of moving ever so ever so slightly over the course of a day or two days or or whatever to be like oh it's ten pixels over this way now it's ten pixels over this way you know just to kind of change it up just enough to try to prevent some of that burn in um and yeah it's uh it's interesting um as someone who you know basically turns this PC on in the morning and then leaves it on until eleven p.m. or something like that and I'm kind of in and out working and 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 everything um having the monitor go dark is uh a little you know it, it's it's a minor frustration i guess i would say so th- those are minor deals I, I i do think that this is a pretty incredible monitor and um yeah uh what size screen do i usually play on is the question from the chat I, i'm playing on this 27 inch screen i replaced another 27 inch with this one and now that 27 inch is vertical here 
and I've got a, a 30 inch vertical over here. That's the 4k monitor that I hate, but it was very inexpensive. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's neat. It's a cool ass TV. It's a cool ass monitor that does the stuff that the cool ass TVs do. So if, if you've been exposed, if you've seen the LG TVs, and seen what an OLED screen with HDR looks like, and seen how all of that can look in games. Now you can run that at 240 hertz on a PC monitor, and it's fucking crazy. It, it yeah, it it looks outstanding. And Windows 11 has the built-in auto HDR stuff that the Xbox Series X has, and so some games that don't have native HDR will get it that way. And it's not going to be maybe quite as good as native HDR is going to be, obviously. But approximating it, it still looks all right. It's cool. Um, you know, and, and that's worked out pretty well, too. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I have been impressed with the auto HDR stuff. Do any emulators work with auto HDR? None that I've seen so far. But maybe if I full screened them, it would attempt to do it. But um, but I don't know. That is a thing. That is a thing going around, though. HDR support for emulators. Um, and the Mister specifically, they added HDR support of some sort for the Mister, and I'm not really sure what the benefit is there. But now that I have an HDR screen on the other end of my capture card, I might actually try to see what all of that looks like. I don't know. Well, I watched the HDR, the HD Blu-ray release of Avatar on this new monitor. No. No, I won't. <laughs> um, have I tried hooking it up to a PS5? No, cause, I mean, because the, the TV that I have the PS5 hooked up to will do 120 hertz. And, you know, it, it does, it'll do the stuff the PS5 needs it to do. So, yes, some when I'm capturing, I will capture end-to-end through to this, this monitor I, I've not set up the pass through out of the um out of the capture card after moving all these monitors around that's like the last thing I haven't had time to hook up but um but I guess I need to do that today um and and all that if we're gonna if we're gonna stream something t- tomorrow which we probably will well I don't know we're probably we'll probably play some forespoken tomorrow I have not seen the game in action it is releasing as we are recording right now I think it just came out 20 minutes ago on PC that game is 121 gigabytes to download it's uh it's a lot of gigabytes people talk a lot about call of duty and how big it can be. I believe the current Call of Duty, this year's Call of Duty, is 60 gigabytes right now. Over time, I'm sure they will add maps and they will do things and so on and so forth. But Destiny 2 is 100 gigabytes on a PC installed. They are saying, hey, um, it's 121 gig download, but you should have 150 gigs of drive space, which I, you know, I do it's, it's whatever, but like, um, it's weird. What is that game? Other than every clip of it seems like designed to push people away from wanting to play it. Every time the character speaks, you're like, I, mm, I don't think I want any part of this. 
It sounds like that they were a little, maybe a little selective with sending out uh, copies of that game ahead of release. I don't know. That's it's always a little suspect when when people because that does happen. I mean, um, but uh, when when people go public and complain like we well, haven't gotten review codes, like yeah, well they don't have to send it to everybody, and, and I think a lot of people were good at um, pointing that out when they were saying, hey, we didn't get it. But it is sometimes useful to say, hey, we did not get it. We are not going to have day one coverage of this if you are looking for reviews, blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah, I don't know. They had, I, I do know that they had uh, multiple hands-on events prior to release trying to get people in front of that game. Um, I did not make it out to see it prior to release. And so uh, and I, they had a demo at some point. I, anyway, I have not seen much Forspoken. Um. I would say I'm like passively interested in it, but also the 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 things people are saying about it. Uh, like I'm I'm surprised. Like like people are like, hey, this is like bad across the board, start to finish. Like there, there are screenshots of NPCs that look absolutely awful. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of dialogue. Austin Walker wrote a really, um, I think a a, a really good thing about how that dialogue hits and why it hits that way uh, on what is his it's clockworkworlds.com is where Austin is posting stuff recently. Uh, you should go check that out. I think it's a, it's a fascinating kind of thought about that type of dialogue, the, the type of dialogue that is uh, kind of unwilling to engage with the material in a sincere way. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good piece. Check it out. Um, and it, it definitely like, it, it, I think it, it put into, it put into words, a feeling that I have had about a lot of games and movies and other stuff that has tried to, to do that whole, like, well, we're going to be above it and poke fun at like, yo, look, what is this orc doing? You know, or whatever it is. Um, that I think a lot of people just go like the the kind of Marvel movification of dialogue, but it's more than that. It's not just it's not just the Joss Whedon thing. It's not just that. It's uh, it's more encompassing than that. That uh, that yeah. I think uh, anyway. Go go check out what what Austin had to say about it uh, at clockworkworlds.com. It's uh yeah. Um, anyway, that, all that's to say that I am interested in checking out Forspoken for myself. And seeing a little bit of it and, and seeing how it hits me. I, but man, every single clip of that of that lady talking is just like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll we'll see how how all of that goes. Um, yeah, and I guess we're hey, end of January. We got that. We got Dead Space. So it's like they're kind of like a couple of like big, big publisher games out if not necessarily the biggest games in the world but um yeah i'm, I'm interested in seeing how dead space uh, came together um why don't we take a brief break and we'll come back we'll talk about some games we'll talk about some news and so on down the line huh we'll be back are you happy with your skin you know like i 100 percent fully full-on happy head to toe no? Yeah, no, I, I get it. I get it. Believe me. Believe me, I get it. Uh, you know, taking care of your skin is one of those things that I think it's really easy to just kind of like forget and like go by the wayside. And, you know, like uh, as a teen, you know, it's really easy to go like, oh, well, I'm just going to go get these pads and and rub, you know, 
alcohol or whatever the heck is in those things directly on my face and that's going to be a nightmare but hopefully that'll help and blah blah you know but you know that stuff kind of fades but like the, you know you get a little breakout here a little breakout there you know maybe you're maybe you're getting uh, some wrinkles and some spots that you're not real happy with or maybe you're not happy with your skin texture some some dark spots whatever it is you know uh, dermatology is is there to help but honestly you know getting out and going to the dermatologist for something you're just like it's fine you know whatever uh, that's why there's apostrophe Apostrophe is an online platform that connects you with an expert dermatology team to get customized treatment for your unique skin, whatever your situation is. If that's acne, then they've got prescription strength acne medications. They have topicals. They have orals. Uh, that's uh, that's code for pills. They, they've got pills. They've got you know uh, stuff you can put on your your skin for for that. And through Apostrophe, you can get access to those oral and topical medications that use clinically proven ingredients to help clear up your acne. You simply go online and fill out an online consultation about your skin goals and your medical history. You take a few pictures of the uh, impacted areas. You know, it's like, ah, you know, I got this stuff on my back or whatever, you know. And a board-certified dermatologist will create your initial customized treatment plan. Apostrophe offers access to prescription treatments for all types of acne. Where, however, you're getting it, why you're uh, hormonal acne, facial acne, back, chest, even dare I say it, butt acne. Yeah, I know, I know. So you know th- this works very easily. You you send them the pictures, uh, then you know in a little bit of time they get back to you if they've got additional questions. Maybe they'll ask those. If not, they'll be like, hey, all right, here's here's what we think will help you, uh, and then that dermatologist basically. Hooks, you know, tells you, hey, here's the medications that I think will help. And then you go through apostrophe, apostrophe acts to the pharmacy and connects you, connects all of that stuff together so that you can get this stuff shipped directly to your house. Nice and easy. And, you know, hey, you're talking to a straight up dermatologist. This is, you know, you're, these are the people that do that for a living. They went to school for it. Skin doctors and all of that. Hey, and there's a special deal. Right here, right now for you. You can get your first visit for only $5 at apostrophe.com slash Jeff and use the code Jeff at checkout. That is a savings of $15 exclusively for you. To get started, just go to apostrophe.com slash Jeff, click get started, and use the code Jeff at sign up, and you'll get your first visit for only $5. That's right. And thanks to Apostrophe for sponsoring this episode. Okay, we're back. Um, I have been playing a game. Called, it is not quite out on Steam yet, but I believe it's out this week. I've been playing a game called Nebula, which is um, there's a demo of it out, and it is a uh, auto survival shooter game in the vein of a, a vampire survivors of, of a Project Lazarus of a uh those those sorts of games i have seen and this is i am uh i am against this fully i am against this 100% i have seen people referring to these games as bullet heaven games and i will not stand for it bullet heaven would be no bullets 
<laughs> like, hey, it's the opposite of bullet hell because you're generating the bullet hell patterns. Like, no, it, no, no, that, that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. Um, bullet heaven does not work for me, brother. Um, and, and so I, you know, the, I think auto survival shooting, auto shooting, auto shooting survival games, I think is the appropriate nomenclature to use here. The shooting is automatic. It's an auto shooter. It's a survival game. You are attempting to survive. It is a run based game, you know, so so it's that type of survival. Um, and so they are, that is, that is, that is settled. That's the lore. That's the, that's the culture. Done. Move on. What are we, a belt scroller, belt, <laughs> belt action games. Um, it's okay. I don't know. You know, you know, it's, it's, it's been a while. I feel like since there's been a new one of these that I've found, you know, but, uh, but the, the, a copy of this came my way ahead of release. And I, I was like, I'm going to check out Nebula. This will be all right. And it's, uh, you, you have a really slow, uh, turret. So you use the right stick to aim your default shot and the additional weapons you add on, um, shoot, you know, on, you know, where, wherever they're going to shoot. Some of them automatically rotate. Some of them do, you know, whatever. Uh, and so, but your your main shot, you can use the right stick or a mouse to kind of point in a direction. But you point the right stick, and then the turret has to take all the time to rotate. So it's not an instant, like, I'm shooting this way, I'm shooting that way. And that kind of, the feel of that on a, on a controller or on a mouse, I feel like is really kind of broken for me in a way, where you've you've completed the movement. You're pointing in the right direction. The cursor on screen is pointed in the right direction. We have to like squint at your ship a little bit and be like, okay, wait, no, the turret's still going around and, oh, we have to get there and, oh, it's still on cooldown and now it's firing. Like that, that didn't really, that kind of doesn't really do it for me. That said, it's, yes, it is, it is immediately better than Hentai Survivor. Yeah, it, it is far better than that game will ever be. Um, and And it seems like it has some interesting upgrades in terms of freezing lasers and burning lasers and, uh, different weapons and sorts of, of uh, around that. So I'm, I'm kind of, I'm engaged with it right now, but I don't know that I would say that it is an awesome, uh, auto shooting survival game. I think, uh, you know, that's, it's, that is an increasingly high bar, I guess, when you think about it, uh, with what vampire survivors done and now they've got their DLC out and, and everything like that, that is kind of a high bar because I think you've got a lot of small teams or individuals in some cases that are, are making games in this vein. And just a lot of them have more of a head start. Um, I'll be curious to see how long this genre is a thing or if this is, yeah. So, uh, Jesus faces in the Twitch chat says I've played vampire survivors to completion in quotes, and I don't think I need to play anything else like that again. I'm done. Yeah, well, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there's a new Holocure update coming pretty soon here. Um, Project Lazarus is a mech-based game in that vein, and I think that is a pretty decent one of those. But I haven't checked in on it in a little in a, a little while here. Uh, Survivor.io on phones is is something that I was like relatively obsessed with for a period of time, and I think that's a really good one of those, but also painfully easy. Um, 
Yes, Brotato is maybe a little divisive. I don't know. I played some more Brotato and I was like, yeah, as you kind of experiment a little bit more with with Brotato and, and the, the way the weapons synergize and stuff, there's it has some cool ideas, but I just, I don't know. The I kind of got bored with that pretty fast as well. And I will be curious to see if we see another one of these games that uh, hits the heights or, or, or you know, that, that kind of enters the conversation, I suppose, if, you know, that's a weird, but that, that kind of happened this, the same way Vampire Survivors did. Or if this door is closed and one of, and that game got through and there's some knockoffs that are like pretty good, but not necessarily going to be as big a deal as that one was. And we're done, you know, and, and, and that we, you know, do this gets relegated to mobile and, and, and porn games and whatever else. Yeah, exactly. Does Fortnite <laughs> pivot? Like we're getting rid of this whole battle Royale thing. It's done. Instead, we're going for an auto shooter, auto shooting survival game. This is the future. Speaking of uh, Fortnite, I reinstalled PUBG. Don't, don't ask me why or nothing. I don't know. I, I just, I was like, what's going on with the, what's going on with player unknowns, battlegrounds, colon battlegrounds. And I fired it up and did not have time to get into uh, a match. Uh, but it, it's been, it had been so long since I had played, uh, since I had played PUBG that, uh, I had not played it since it went free to play. And so like the number of screens and pop-ups and everything that happened when I launched it and it was like, you need to go through training and do like 10 bot matches. I'm like, yeah, okay. I could see playing one or two bot matches and just like getting a feel for the shooting and seeing if I care about this ever again. But like, um, but yeah, I, I just did not have time to, to do it in that moment. So, uh, so I fired it up and glanced at it and I was like, yeah, this, yeah, I still have my cool yellow fucking track suit that is still worth, I don't know, 12 bucks or something. I, I, I paid, I want, did I, did I want to say I paid like 25 bucks on the steam marketplace for that when PUBG was hot, 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 uh, that I was like, no, I need this fucking sick yellow track suit. What are we doing? God damn it. Um, I didn't know. I, did I, I got half of it out of a crate and then I, uh, and then the other half, maybe I bought the pants or something like that. I forget what it was. Um, but yeah, uh, I, I, I'll probably play some PUBG at some point this week, I guess. I don't know. Um, taking a look here and, uh, why don't we get into the news? I've got a button for that. Um, I, I got this uh, breaking news. I went to the P.O. box and I have I have a bunch of packages from folks to open this week. Uh, but I went to the 7-Eleven that was nearby and I bought this dented up can of C4 orange slice. And thought the, that we would give that a go. Uh, this this is breaking news. This is breaking breaking news at this hour. Um, so I thought I would give this a go. This can is ripped up, man. The the lip of this has been dented. Something got dropped on this. This is all. I have liked the C fours quite a bit. We should bring up the list real quick. And well, let's just do this official like. But we'll try to we'll try to try to keep it moving here. But um. But let's let's do what you know. Let's, let's make it official at least. 
All right. We have 61 drinks on the list. I feel like C4 has done fairly well with a lot of their drinks here. They have uh, four in the top 15. And orange is amongst my favorite flavors. So I have high hopes. Smells like a, yeah, smells like a can of, I mean, it is called orange slice, which is weird because orange slice is a, was a drink. Slice was a, a, that was a, anyway, slice was a drink. That's all I'm saying. You, your, your starries, your, your Sierra mists. There, there was slice and there was an orange slice and I drank a lot of orange slice. An orange slice is also just a thing. Now you're just being crazy. An or- yeah, yeah, it's an orange slice. Hmm. It's a we. It's an. It's not a. It's not an overpoweringly strong orange flavor. The way that um. The way that stuff like Ghost Orange Cream and Rain Orange Dreamsicle are. It is. I mean, honestly, it is kind of like a can of orange slice, which is weird. It's it's a more laid back orange flavor. It tastes like a diet. It tastes like a diet orange soda. It tastes like a diet sun kissed or something like that, which is that's fine. That's not. Yeah, this is not bad. I'm just saying it's not as as heavy hitter as some of the stronger flavors in the orange category or in the C4 category. Honestly, I think, uh, this is a little laid back, but it doesn't have, there's no chemical back into this. Like I'm saying at most, it tastes like a diet soda. Um, and, um, this is all right. This is all right for fun time drinking. You could drink this in in the, the summertime. could be a nice laid back summertime beverage let's put it on the list um i'm gonna say gosh i'm gonna say i like this better than hmm. it's not as good as c4 skittles but i'd probably take it over a ghost swedish fish maybe i don't that's controversial i don't know i hmm i'm gonna it it's this is our new number 20 that's gonna go right there it's better than Ghost Tropical Mango, but not as good as Ghost Swedish Fish. That's uh, that's where that's getting slotted in. That's uh, let's add okay, C, or orange slice, and I will show you the the full list here very quickly. Sixty two, sixty two drinks strong. Um, and I think that uh, th- I think that the the boxes that we're going to open this week have a lot of other crazy stuff in them. So we'll uh, we'll see how all, all that goes. In the news, we talked about Ubisoft last week. Um, we talked about the that they canceled three games that they were still working on Beyond Good and Evil Two, and and I posited, hey. I bet that uh, Beyond Good and Evil 2 almost has to be a blockchain game by now, right? Some kind of NFT thing by now, right? Like, that's there's no way 
Like if that thing is going to exist, it's going to fall into whatever Ubisoft blockchain trap uh, that they are still that they still think is is going to be a thing. Um, not too long after the so there were there was a bit in there that we didn't talk about that I that I forgot to mention where in the email that Eve Guillermo sent out and I'm I, I I'm sure I'm not pronouncing his name correctly I'm always screwing that up but um. In the email that he sent out to everyone uh, in conjunction with these changes, he was like, uh, and, and so this is something that originally came from Kotaku, said that, uh, you know, that, that uh, he needs the workers full energy and commitment to ensure we get back on the path to success. This is from a PC gamers take on, on the article. I am also asking that each of you be especially careful and strategic with your spending and initiatives to ensure we're being as efficient and lean as possible. Um, and basically like tried to throw some of it back onto the staff of the company, the employees of the company and be like, okay, uh, you guys need to really bring your all. It's up to you. If we make it through this or not, you're really going to have to, um, you know, pull your weight around, you know, you're really going to have to make it happen here. Uh, for for this to for for us to pull this off, we're all going to have to come together, and you're going to have to do your best work. And the, yes, the, he said the the ball is in your court. Like fuck you. Um, this led to a call for a strike in Paris. Um, and uh, this again, this is from from PC Gamer. This is the so there's a union. The, the 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 French are properly unionized in a way that most of the rest of the world is not. And so Solidaire Informatique called Guillermo's comments catastrophic and accused the CEO of planning staff reductions, discrete studio closures, salary cuts, and disguised layoffs. You know, we'll, we'll see about that. But uh, yeah, probably. Uh, on several occasions, and this is a quote from, from them, from the union, uh, on several occasions, Mr. Guillermo is trying to shift the blame once again onto the employees. He expects us to be mobilized, to give it our all, to be as efficient and lean as possible. These words mean something. Overtime, managerial pressure, burnout, etc. He asks a lot from his employees without any compensation. Uh, and says that studios, uh, studios said salaries, uh, yeah, salaries at Ubisoft have failed to keep up with inflation. The company has not implemented a four-day work week, which they apparently did experiment with in 2021, but did not continue on for. And that there's no protection in place for exhausted dev teams after their projects are completed. And so the union made four demands. And yes, they, they did... Uh, the, the call was for a strike for four hours. It was not, this is not, it was more of a walkout than a strike, not necessarily a, you know, hey, we're going to be on the picket line until these demands are met. It is more of a shot across the, the bow if you want to use, I don't know, pirate ship combat lingo for this. Uh, the union demands are an immediate 10% increase for all salaries, regardless of annual increases to compensate for inflation. With the hundreds of millions of euros obtained from Tencent, there is money in the coffers of the employers. Uh, the improvement of working conditions, in particular the implementation of the four-day work week, transparency on the evolution of the workforce both locally and globally, and a strong commitment against disguised dismissals and condemnation of abusive managerial policies that push employees to resign. And because Mr. Gamo and his click and his click only understand the relationship of power, Solidaire's Informatique is calling on the employees of Ubisoft Paris to go on strike Friday the 27th in the afternoon from 2 to 6 p.m. So that is this Friday. We'll see. Um, but this is not a huge ask. 
yes, the click is, yeah, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, throw them up. Um, throw them up for Eve Game O. Uh, we, we think Rabbids is too sweet, is, is what he's saying. Um, yeah. So I think, you know, him trying to put this back on the employees and say, hey, you're going to have to make this happen. It's on you whether this happens or not. Like, sucks. I think that Ubisoft as a company uh, has been through the ringer and the employees have been through the ringer in terms of uh, the, you know, the abusive folks in power at that company that it sounds like that the company was very slow to work on that problem. And I don't even know that it's necessarily fixed. Um, I have not heard anything recently one way or the other, but I know that was, there were people that were leaving going like, they're just not making moves on this front to fix these issues around, you know, abusive managers and, and everything. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. Trying to, trying to shift blame onto the employee seems like a really crummy way to go with it. Um, and yeah, so this PC gamer does point out, uh, Andy Chalk over there points out that this is limited to Ubisoft Paris because Solidarity Informatique is a French trade union that has a chapter at the Paris studio, uh, but not others. And so, um, so yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if the, the employees of Ubisoft Paris decide to walk out on that Friday or not, I guess, um, but yeah, that's just kind of the coda to everything that's been happening with with Ubisoft lately. We will get into another Ubisoft property in the emails. Um, layoff fever has struck the industry. It's uh, hitting Microsoft very hard. Uh, obviously, this is going around tech in a big way. You're hearing numbers in the ten ten thousand range at you know stuff like Google and Amazon and everything. Microsoft has. Uh, decided to join in and is slashing 10,000 jobs. Uh, this will impact the gaming division. Uh, it sounds like that a number of people were cut at, at, in the Xbox division, in the in the games division, Bethesda, you know, the coalition, uh, and so on and so forth. I saw, thought I saw a number implying that somewhere around 60 people were let go from 343. I don't know if that is accurate or not so i'm not gonna I'm, I'm going to caveat that by saying i don't know if that's accurate or not but um that's a lot of people uh kotaku's report on it uh saying that the blame is on slowing e-commerce sales and a potential economic recession and uh according to bloomberg at least 878 positions in the washington location have been cut um and that they plan to finish laying off the full 10,000 by the third quarter of this year. Uh, Sadia Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, uh, said that uh, this is represents less than 5% of the total workforce. Like, oh, well, cool. Great, right? Uh, did not point out that, like, the day before they had a big concert somewhere with Sting. Just like, for, you know, like a, you know, so you're you're out there having these expensive events and then the next day like oh we gotta we gotta cut ten thousand people um and so you know as someone who is uh linkedin friends with a number of people who are friends with a number of the way linkedin works 
uh, you end up seeing a cavalcade of people going like, I have also been laid off by insert tech company here or whatever. And I did see a lot of, um, a lot of Microsoft people rolling through that feed over the past few days. Um, and yeah, so this led to another report saying that 343 was maybe going to start acting more as a, um, a middleman kind of outsourcing studio that they're, that the, the, the future of halo lied in working with external studios and having them do the work and three, four, three, just kind of playing traffic cop in the middle. This, this report seemed to lead to three, four, three saying like, no, we are, we are still the house of halo. This is still where it happens. It's, it's, you know, um, they do still have a number of people there. It's really hard to see it. it you know, it, yeah. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing? You know, Hey, uh, it, I don't know. Uh, and I speak as someone who really liked Halo Infinite that the, like the, I'm, I'm reaching a point with it where you, you, you think about the stated goal of like, this is the next 10 years of Halo. And you look at that product right now and you just go, I, I really don't think that's true. I really don't think that can be true anymore um, because of how this is, how this has gone. And man, it, it's really, um, I think when you, when you really kind of take a step back and think about the last year or so of how Halo has gone and, and, and it's like something that seems like it should be this like slam dunk property. And even like, honestly, I, I I firmly believe that Halo Infinite is a really strong game, and I think that multiplayer has never been has never been better um, in terms of just gameplay and feel and, and and all of those things. I think they really hit onto something that that really got me into Halo. It, it, the the core of it. I thought the campaign was really fun. I thought the things that they did to make it somewhat more open in a Sonic Frontiers open zone kind of way. Like there's a lot of cool and great stuff happening in that video game, but they just were not able to be reactive. They were not able to react to the needs of players fast enough. There were bugs that lingered on way too long. I think they made some bad medium to long-term calls on player progression and experience points and all of those things, which they're, you know, they've, they've been trying to reverse course on that and, and test out new changes to, to fix some of that stuff. But it's the same problem that I think call of duty is about to slam into just a straight up content issue in that these games need more maps and halo infinite. I think you could solve the majority of its issues if it just had more quality maps, the forge mode in halo is really neat and you can do some really fun stuff with custom maps and people are doing really fascinating things with it and it's cool, but it's not the same as a pro- professionally produced high quality multiplayer map. And, um, and that is, that to me has been the, the biggest issue. You have some people that are mad about co-op. You have some people, you know, like different facets, of the Halo fan base are going to be mad about different things, right? It's not a one size fits all situation, but I do think that you, you cut off the majority of the complaints. If you've just got a steady pipeline of like, we've got a new map this month, next month, we've got another new map. We've got a Hey, we're this, this month we've got a big map for vehicles. 
this map we've this this month we've got a, a smaller we've got an arena map for all the other modes like hey you know we're we're balancing all of that stuff out and, and i think that you know obviously resourcing up to have a map a month is crazy right that's, that's probably I'm, I'm probably asking for a lot here without even realizing it but they just it needs more and it needs more quickly and i i feel like myself and a number of other people have been saying that for a really long time and so he's got, I don't understand how, I, I don't understand. And I, and it, maybe it speaks to their pipeline. Maybe it speaks to the, the, you know, the tools that they are using and, and how all that works, that it is such a slow process. I don't know. Um, but it's really bizarre to, to think about Halo being in this situation. And yeah, and yeah, the, my understanding is that there's quite a bit of, tech debt around the halo infinite engine and, and that getting things up and running and modernizing and, and, you know, changing course and some of the things they want to change course on is, uh, is a hassle. Um, but here we are. Yeah. And, and like I said, I think call of duty is slowly slamming into that same problem. Um, as they push to their season two back from February 1st to February 15th, and in, in conjunction with that, they seem to have pulled the shipment lever again. They're like, ah, oh, we got to push the season back. Shit, turn the shipment playlist back on. Shut these people up. Ka-chunk. And there you go. Uh, go level up the rest of your guns. But I don't know. You see a lot of reports, and, and I have no real way to verify this, but you see a lot of reports that Warzone player, the Warzone player base is is falling off big time. And, and so as part of season two, they're putting in resurgence which is, I think it's another, that's the small map from the previous Warzone, right? I did not play enough of the first Warzone to know that by name, but, um, but yeah, the, 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 the variety of, of stuff there is, it's, it's lacking, you know, you need more for players to do. And I guess maybe in some ways that's the problem with, um, cause I, when you look at what they've announced for Call of Duty season two, it is not going to solve that problem immediately. It's not like they're like, and over the course of season two, you're getting six new competitive multiplayer maps. No, it's like, Hey, we're bringing a new thing to war zone and we're doing this and we're doing this. And so everything gets split across the 9,000 different modes that game has because they have to support all the different fractions of their player base. Now that they're like, yeah, we got a couple. Yeah. Yeah. We got a couple of multiplayer maps coming. You're like a couple doesn't cut it. You need like seven, <laughs> you know, um, like it, it feels like it launched short of maps. So it feels like it's still making up for that. And so the idea that words going around that they're going to put a remade map into this, um, instead of, you know, having more new maps is, is especially troubling to me on, on the call of duty front. But anyway, the some of these layoffs, I wonder if if some of the Microsoft layoffs are them like kind of reducing some of the redundancy that they didn't do around the Bethesda acquisition. We talked about this with Embracer a lot as as a company who had not done this, but you you worry that like that day is going to come. Where like the rap on Embracer was always, oh, they just acquired these companies and then just let those companies operate the exact same way they were. They don't lay anybody off. It's all the same stuff. Everything, you know, hey, they're just out there continuing to do their thing. They just do it for Embracer now. And you look at that and go like, well, okay. 
awesome. That's awesome. Like people should be great. Yes. People should keep their jobs, but also does every single one of these studios need a PR department? Does every single one need a, you know, like the, especially when Embracer also purchased a PR firm, uh, sandbox strategy, sandbox strategies, which there's some awesome people there. <laughs> so like, you know, you look at that and go like, well, yeah. Okay. So that's the type of like redundancy reduction I'm talking about. It's like when they bought Bethesda, Bethesda did their own publishing, Bethesda did their own PR, Bethesda did a lot of that stuff that Microsoft does. And Microsoft already has people in place. And so you look at it and go like, do you need a whole separate team for that? And like the brutal, like, yeah, maybe not. Um, so I think at that acquisition, you expect there to be some number of like positions eliminated. Um, and I, that, that's something that I just wonder, like when you, when you look at Embracer and how they've been running, like that seems like the sort of thing that, that happens as well too. So, uh, we'll see, we'll see on that front. But, um, this is, so there's. Let's see. Uh, Phil Spencer spent out, uh, sent out something around this uh, a company-wide email that uh, Kotaku got their hands on and published. This has been a difficult week across Microsoft and here inside our teams. Now that many of the one-on-one and team conversations have happened, I want to take a moment to reiterate the message that you heard from your leaders. This is a challenging moment in our business, and this week's actions were painful choices. The gaming leadership team had to make decisions that we felt set us up for the long-term success of our products and business, but the individual results of those decisions are real. I know that hurts. Thank you for supporting our colleagues as they process these changes. Um, over the coming weeks, we'll have many opportunities to connect and answer questions. The monthly update next week for teams that attend that meeting. I'm in close contact with teams at Zenimax. The leadership team and I are committed to being as transparent as we can. Moving forward with ambiguity is challenging, but I'm confident that together we will get through this difficult moment in time. Um, so kind of, you know, it it, it is as much as you, it is as much as you can say, if you're in that position, um, so look, yes, is is this a, is this a great response? No. Is this like empty, like, like relatively empty PR speak of like, Hey, we'll get through this. I know it's tough. And, and, you know, like, you know, does that mean he's happy about the layoffs? I doubt it. Right. No one is fucking happy about layoffs. I've been through layoffs. I've been on both sides of fucking that process. And it's, it's so fucking, it's fucked. Um, the thing, so the thing that they teach you in management training, when you are letting someone go, and this is something that can apply to terminations, but also is something that probably they they tell people to look out for with language when they are laying people off the thing they say. And it's like a really like crushing thing to hear is they say, never say you're sorry. Never say I am sorry was the advice that I got. Uh, because that is putting liability onto you and thus putting liability onto the company and opening the door for a wrongful termination lawsuit. And so there's a lot of, yes, don't be a person. Yes. There, there's a lot of the, the language around this stuff is cold for a reason. 
and it is because lawyers and all of because all of this other shit you do not want to attach yourself to this because it, you know it wasn't you know uh, what was Phil Spencer's call here probably what happened is they come to him and say you need to eliminate this this number of positions thank you and he goes fuck okay all right shit and then has to work with his management team to figure out like okay where do we okay we have to cut you know, 900 people, you know, whatever it ends up being, 1,500 people, let's say, I, I don't know. Um, and then they have to go through and figure out who those people are. And yeah, um, but but the the reason, the reason why all of this language is always so cold and the reason why you always look at it and go like, man, fuck these people is because of that, is because of lawyers, is because of, you know, these, these sorts of situations is because of, they don't want to open the door for, because there's an HR team somewhere going like, Hey, human resources is not here to protect the humans. And we're here to protect the company from the humans. And we don't want to get sued. So do this, do this, do this, never say this, never say this. And, and so on and so forth. And it's a terrible, um, dehumanizing thing. And I'm not saying that it's right for sure. Don't get me wrong here. I'm not, I'm not saying like, ah, oh, that guy, you know, like I'm saying that like, this is institutional. This is foundational across business period. It's not, you know, unique to Microsoft that Phil Spencer is issuing a, a very kind of cold legal sounding company wide email. That is how that stuff goes. I'm sure that other people looked at this email before it got sent out to go. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You, you can say that. Um, and that's the nature of this beast that we call capitalism, baby. We all love it. Um, and yeah, I don't know. This is, you know, Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of people. And does it set them up for success across all of Microsoft? By cutting 10,000 people, maybe they shouldn't have hired up in the first place. This is something that also sort of has been kind of spinning in the background here is the number of companies that hired up over the course of the pandemic because numbers looked so good and they're like, man, we're expanding. We're, we went from our studio, went from one team to two teams, and now we're working on a whole nother game and blah, blah, blah. Like a lot of studios of different sizes really kind of tried to level up, if you will, over the course of this and um, and brought on a lot of people. And now people, more and more people are going back to work. And so like the, the free time, the entertainment time for video games is not maybe what it used to be 12 months ago, 18 months ago. And, um, that's going to lead to situations like this where like, unless you're, you know, like, Hey, suddenly we're killing it, you know? Okay. As long as you're killing it, all these people get to keep their jobs. But the minute you're not. We're out here on a fucking ledge because we hired a lot of people and oh God. Uh, and so I, I like those are the sorts of things that when people talk about recession and and, and so on that, that I think about like those conversations that I had with companies that hired up quite a bit 
and maybe they should not have hired up quite so much. Uh, I don't know if Microsoft added a ton of positions over the course of the last year or two or not, but um, but I definitely heard from a lot of smaller studios that that did. Um, then we go through that stuff last week. We we talk all about the Microsoft layoffs and, and how it hits Xbox and and so on and so forth. And then uh, you know, boom, Monday morning, Microsoft on Monday confirmed it is making a multi-billion dollar investment in open AI, the company behind the new viral AI chatbot tool called chat GPT. That's according to CNN. Um, so there you go. Multi billion. Multiple Billions. Now, Microsoft was already an investor in OpenAI, and so this is an expansion of their existing partnership. Now, don't be so uh, quite so um, naive as to think that uh, AI is going to replace all of those human positions they just cut. It's not. It is not cut and dry like that. But this is going to be the next battleground. Unrelated to those those layoffs, the 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 AI the the AI push in tech is going to be strange. It is going to be dramatic. is It is going to be messy. It is going to be um, hilarious in some ways. I guess I would say. Um, let's see here if there's anything else here. Uh, Satya Nadella, the Microsoft CEO, said in a statement, we formed our partnership with OpenAI around a shared ambition to responsibly advance cutting-edge AI research and democratize AI as a new technology platform. The thing that all of these articles about, and, and the CNN article is no exception, it seems like they all say this. Some CEOs have also already used the platform to write emails or do some accounting work. Like, oh, some CEOs are, oh, well, well some CEOs. Like, I go to chat GPT and I, I've had fucking, I had an AI write a fucking social media post about me running a live stream the other day. I didn't use it because it was like epic. No, it was like the shittiest, like you look at, I should have fucking tweeted it because it was fucking terrible. It was like an ep- another epic stream. It was like really, really good. Um, Did I, I I pasted it somewhere where I can get to it. Hang on, let me find it. Where was this? Um, uh, yes, write a tweet advertising Jeff Gerstmann's newest stream is what I told you.com to do. Check out at Jeff Gersman's new stream featuring his podcast about video games. Tune in to get the latest gaming news and insights straight from the source. Hashtag Jeff Gersman. Hashtag pod. Oh, no, that was the second one. That was one that Marco did. Hashtag podcast. Hashtag video games. Hashtag streaming. The one I wrote is, are you ready for some? Or I wrote the one that I got back was, are you ready for some epic gaming action? Join me on Twitch to watch my live stream. I'll be showing off the latest and greatest games, so don't miss out. It's going to be an awesome time. Hashtag Twitch streamer. Hashtag live streaming. 
<laughs> um so welcome in uh we're we're gonna be doing some epic game we're gonna uh, play some epic game we're gonna launch the epic game store and it's gonna be fucking hardcore man um so OpenAI is also the company that runs Dolly. Uh, and so, you know, Microsoft's investments will, uh, this is says, uh, as a result of its existing exclusive deal, Microsoft recently said it would soon add ChatGPT features to its cloud computing service, Azure. If ChatGPT becomes available on that service, businesses could use the tools directly within its apps and services too. Uh, and of course, they also already had said that they were looking to in- integrate chat GPT into stuff like Word and PowerPoint and Outlook. I think that there is obviously a use for AI uh, when it comes to like, hey, I'm going to write this human language sentence and you're going to do it for me. And then I'm going to have to go in and clean it up because it's, you know, a robot made it and it's not quite what I want. It doesn't quite have my voice down, whatever, whatever you're looking for. Um, but the, the ramifications around this sort of stuff of, let's say, oh, I don't know, using an AI to write articles for your website, writing news stories for your website and having an AI do that. And maybe not necessarily fact checking them and, oh, wait, uh, turns out that a lot of this text looks like it was plagiarized from other, because the AI has to be sourced from somewhere, right? The AI has to learn from somewhere, right? And so it learns by reading what's already out there. And so it is built to plagiarize. Specifically, that's the whole point. It's not thinking per se. It is not having its own unique thoughts. It is merely ingesting the internet which I don't know if you know this. A lot of the internet is full of bullshit that is wrong. And uh, so you end up in a situation where it's going to ape that style and then get even more of it wrong. And you're going to spread even more wrong, you know? And, and so the very, uh, the very idea that this is something that people are deploying onto a website right now while all of this stuff is so fucking nascent and uh, wrong as frequently as it is, is like fucking hilarious and tragic at the same time. You just go like, how, you know, like it seems like someone with half a brain should have stood in the middle of this process and been like, Hey, this isn't right. I mean, like forget even, even the, like, is it ethically right? No. But is it like right as incorrect? No. Will it SEO well on Google? Yes. So, so is that the only, is that the only checkbox we're looking at? Oh, okay. All right. I guess we're running, we're running this. Okay, great. All right. Fucking flip the switch, man. Set the robot loose. Fuck it. Um, it's really, <laughs> it's, it's really wild. It's really insane that this is a thing that, that is already happening. And, and, and cause you, you spend, go spend like 20 minutes with chat GPT asking it questions that you already know the answer to. And you'll look at it and go like, well, that's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. I can go to chat GBT and I can say, write a video game review for this video game in the style of Jeff Gerstman. And it does it because it is read my, it is, it is, it's a fan of my work, my early stuff. Um, and so 
it can kind of do that. But, you know, the opinion is all over the place. And it says in very incorrect, factually incorrect things about the games. You know, it'll say like, oh, Elden Ring, that's a, this type of, you know, it'll get, it'll get the genre wrong. It'll, you know, it'll do, do a ton of things incorrect. And so you can just spend a, like a, a little bit of time with an AI and, and poke at it and go like, oh, like you, you've done, you, you've, you're doing the work incorrectly here. And so, um, it will improve, of course, right? I mean, you know, this is all stuff. It is early days. And so so I think my my beef is like the idea of deploying it right now today and then not actually going over it to make sure that it is factually accurate is one of the most irresponsible things I have ever heard of from a news outlet or anything like that. And you're like, oh, wow, that's fucking bananas. Um, that's all, that's all I'll say about that specific side of it, I suppose. Um, but the, think about, you know, will there be a human cost for this stuff? Of course there always is. Um, but if we think about like, okay, well, what, what, if you were to take a chat GPT like solution, if you were to take a text generator like solution, a, an AI dungeon, whatever, you know, like those sorts of things and apply them alongside, um, fake voices and you're around side of, Hey, we're going to record our own, you know, record our own AI voice or whatever that can generate text and stuff. And then you run that on Microsoft's cloud servers. The use case I think of. If we kind of like turn off the part of like, hey, there's a long way to go. And obviously the the human cost of this and, and the the, you know, obviously like there's all those stories about like, oh, chat GPT had to be tuned by tons of humans who were working for two dollars an hour, you know, some insane grinder there to get it where even to where it is now he's like okay maybe this whole thing is smoke and mirrors but okay i'm gonna place another bet here like we were talking about beyond good and evil and the whole blockchain thing i bet that all of this open ai chat gpt stuff ends up getting rolled into the next elder scrolls game alongside ai voices Remember how Skyrim had like kind of infinite numbers of quests where it would, uh, you know, kind of keep having people walk up to you and go like, Hey man, what about this? Um, and it kind of sucked and it was like, uh, this is not, this doesn't feel human enough. Also, you really see that it has a very limited number. was it, was it fallout four? Cause Skyrim had some of that stuff, but fallout four, they, they kind of, yeah, the radiant quests, um, but yes, Fallout 4 had had some of that stuff too, right? Um, but I could have sworn Skyrim had that as well. Anyway, splitting hairs, whatever. Um, that system continues to improve, right? They don't just throw it away. They instead go, oh, with all of this stuff, we can now make those quests probably better from a gameplay perspective but also you can make the 
the quest giver have much more realistic and much more specific dialogue as opposed to, Hey, can you do a thing for me? And then like a thing pops up that, or they have to rely on, a, you know, a very small number of preset concepts for these quests. I need you to go to this cave. You know, you start hearing the repeats as you play the game. Like they can kind of always be generating new dialogue and have it be spoken by the AI voice in a way that makes it like less easy to poke holes in if they do it right. And so the, that is the bet I would place is that by the time we get to the next elder scrolls game, by the time that enters full production and by the time that that game is on a release calendar and, or, or whatever, all of this technology has evolved and been integrated to a point where of course they would use it because they are already using some sort of AI generation to do quests. So why not use a better one? Um, I, that that's again, that, that seems like a very easy bet to place. I, I think that that's, that's something that, that definitely happens. And, and so you start to look at that and go like, okay, well, what other things would benefit from all of that sort of stuff? But also how do you, like, do you then have to then put in a bunch of in-game telemetry to have people go like, oh, we gave this quest to a human and they had trouble completing it. And so we need to tune the algorithm and future players will not run into that problem. And, or, or do you do a thing where you are literally, God, what game was that that left that in all the time? Or like the end of every mission, it would ask you like, what'd you think of that mission? Did you like it? Did you have fun in that match? Was that a good match? Was that good or bad? We don't know. We we've completely lost touch of yeah. Black Flag, Assassin's Creed, yeah. Like the very idea that like at the end of every mission they have to go like, well, how was it? Was it good? Because I don't. We don't know what we're making anymore. <laughs> we've made a lot of these, and I'm just like I don't know. What if you did this? I. Oh. It's the most desperate looking thing in the world. I can't believe that it made it into a retail shipping product. Um, but maybe you bring something like that back for AI written quests, right? To go like, oh, okay, um, you know, we need to tune this. We need to, we need to figure this stuff out and, uh, and so on and so forth. I, I wonder, I, I really wonder. And of course, you know, once you get into the whole AI voice thing, um, that's going to open up a whole door of like, think about the, you know, cause think about the situations where you, you get a guy, you get a, you go get a voice actor, you get a famous Hollywood superstar and they do voices for your game. And then you're like, we want to do DLC, but we can't afford to include this character because, uh, they're, they're it'd be too expensive or they don't have the time or, you know, whatever it is, they, they're not going to go back into the booth and record new lines for us. So, we have to write around that and we have to come up with this. So when do we get to a point like, and that's something that the unions and, and voice actors and everything are going to have to figure out what, and, and they shouldn't have to. It's fucking. It's gross to think about in, in terms of uh, voice acting and, and so on. But yes, Peter Dinklage. Yeah. Like what, what do you, so how much do you pay a Peter Dinklage up front? 
Like what ends up becoming the going rate for, hey, we want you to come and do our game. Uh, also, this game is going to last for 10 years and we're going to add a lot more content. And so we want to do an AI version of your voice so that we can uh, continue to use your character for the full duration of this 10 year period. Or, or, or what have you, you know, like, like how much does a license to someone's voice end up costing? What ends up being the going union rate for something like that? Or, or how do you, how do you negotiate those contracts? And like, all of those things are going to have to come up as well. And I think that's terrible, but also the in-game experience of, Hey, uh, we, we went and got this character and now we have to replace this voice completely with someone else like they did with Peter Dinklage, or we can't use this character in any AI in any DLC or add on or new story stuff ever again, because it's too, you know, because the, the availability or, or what have you, that's a bad solution too. So how do you end up negotiating that and what ends up happening there? Like if you're a, if you're a, uh, and, and if, if you're a, and I, and I mean like a, a name, a na- not even a voice acting name. I mean like the, the idea of a Peter Dinklage or someone who is like a well-known actor coming in to do video game voice work. Um, and what's in that contract? What, what is in that AI contract? Is it Okay. Yeah, you can use my voice, but you can't ever make my character a racist. You can't ever make my AI voice say these words. You can't ever make my AI voice behave this way. You can't do, you know, like what ends up being the, because you should, if you're giving someone the license to your voice, you had better fucking be highly specific about how they can fucking use it. Right. Uh, And, and, and so on and so forth in terms of a, and you can only use it in this one game. You cannot use my voice in perpetuity. You'll you can have a ten year license to use this voice. If you say your game is, if you say your your uh, your live service game is going to make it for ten years, then uh, then I'll give you a ten year license to my voice. And then at some point, do they have to go and replace the AI voice with a different AI voice or something fucking wild like that? You know, like what you know. And and some of that seems like it would go hand in hand with like, hey, uh, yeah, I'm giving you my likeness to use in a video game. Uh, Don't make her nude, David Cage. Hey, dirtbag, don't make my lady naked. That's me in there. So it seems like another version of that, I guess I would say. Um... So obviously I I think that, you know, it goes without saying that we are headed for tumultuous times across everything across the world, right? You know, that this is, and I don't necessarily mean recession, you know, that that's obviously going to be a factor, but I think that like there are, there are technologies in play right now that are going to rewrite people's relationship with media and are going to rewrite, um, the rules for, human performance and um, your rights to a person's likeness 
And so it, it just really feels like the next few years and we're, yeah, we're already there in a lot of ways, right? Like there's so many different websites to go to, to, to make a fake Jeff Gerstman say dirty words and, uh, Jim Ross. Those are the only two, those are the only two AI voices that exist, me and Jim Ross. Um, Gospel Bill, you know, all the hits, uh, they did all, all of the prime AI voices have already been done. So, you know, but how do you, um, how do we negotiate that? And how do we on the human side of it, I suppose, I say we like, you know, I I don't know that I, I don't, um, how do we maintain that? Make sure that humans and voice actors and and all of those sorts of people, performers. How do we make sure that they are treated fairly and um, and justly as this process goes on? Unions, right? And how do you how do we get there? How do we make sure that the unions are? good and fair and just all of these things. Cause again, you know, the, 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 this is all going to be new technology. This is all going to be a lot of unwritten rules. And so you'll have that wild West period where, uh, the law has not caught up with the technology yet. And it feels like we're already, we're always in some form of that. It just exists across a ton of different mediums. And, you know, so like the, where is the when where is the law catching up now where it's 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 not i mean the last handful of years of fucking uh shitbags in the white house you know have, have kind of taken their eye off of that ball and now we're you know it's like eh, we're, we're maybe inching back to some of that but not in a way that it's not you know it's never going to be enough and so how do you How do you prevent these people, voice actors and, and everything from getting eaten alive in this process? And, and how do you, you know, the, cause it's not like they're getting paid great as it is. Well, how do you ensure that like, if they say, if, if someone comes in and says, okay, well, we want to make sure that we are, um, we just want to, we just want the rights to your voice. We don't necessarily need you to go in the booth and do the performance. We can handle that now. It, it's okay. And, and the technology is not quite there yet, but. It's getting closer all the time. And um, what does that mean? How do we get there? How do we get there uh, uh, ethically? How do we get there? And and so it, it, there's an interesting little bit in the CNN article that like, you know, hey, listen. Do I believe that this is how it's actually going to work out? No. Do I believe that the people in positions like want it to be like, okay, sure. So like the, yes, the, the statement from Nadella says we formed our partnership with open AI around a shared ambition to responsibly advance cutting edge AI research and democratize AI as a new technology platform. Responsibly is a, as it would do a lot of lifting in that sentence, I suppose, but um, we'll see. And you'll have a lot of companies that will not be responsible about it. And they'll be throwing up articles on websites written by robots that are completely fucking wrong. <laughs> like, All right. Nice. Um, I think from, from the pure technology end, it's really interesting development. Like it's really fascinating technology. It's really mind blowing that like 
that it, it's like after years of like, oh, well, eventually this, it's like suddenly it's like a, a switch flipped and you're like, oh, this all seems attainable within the next 18 months or something, you know, like this all seems like it is about to really happen. And it's really neat. And I think that there are applications for video games. Like, so imagine, you know, and, and again, like there's, we have to talk about the ethics of this, right? And and we did, but I, I think about a scenario where, you know, you have the Unreal Engine, you have UE5 and you have uh, metahumans in UE5 and you have, you know, hey, we can generate humans, we can generate characters, we can, we can generate all this stuff and, and rig them up and have them move and and do the mocap stuff in a really democratized way. You know, how long until is, does, does UE five even do this already? Maybe it does, but I assume it will eventually of like, Oh yeah. Hey, if you want also, if you want to do a voiced characters, uh, we've included some voices you can use and tweak and you can tweak the timber and pitch of them to, um, so that it's not identical to all of the other AI voices that are out there in all of our other games and so on. Like at what point do they, if you think about it, a lot of the Unreal Engine 5 stuff around um, graphical fidelity and a lot of the tools that they rolled on UE5, the stated goal there was to make it attainable for smaller teams to be able to use that level of visual fidelity. The things that only big studios would be able to go out and do because they were the only ones that were able to go out and like, we're going to go shoot guns in Hollywood for six months and then come back and we're putting microphones under cars and we're doing, you know, like all of that insane work um, that they would have to do to scan in a car and have a car look realistic and do, you know, everything. Um, trying to make that level of fidelity attainable by smaller teams was everything that they tried or trying to do with Unreal Engine 5. So, you know, why not eventually end up, I, presumably they will end up in a place where a game engine will integrate AI voice directly right i mean it just seems like something that is bound to happen on that front and then you've got okay a single person i say a, a, an even smaller independent team could have fully voiced characters and not pay you know and 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 have access to that technology that's potentially very exciting but so much of it is wrapped up in so much fucking crazy ethics it's just insane bullshit and it's really hard to imagine a world where all of that gets handled fairly and we'll see we'll see where that ends up but i you know you you don't need me to sit here and say it's coming because you know you're you're smart enough but uh but it's it's coming and uh it's gonna be a real fucking mess i mean the the ai art stuff already is a mess and the AI text stuff is already being used in irresponsible ways that is, is leading to messes that uh, you would think would be easy enough to avoid at this stage. But uh, some people just can't wait. Can't wait to fucking get out there and show every part of their ass. Um, and it'll all meet in the middle somewhere. I don't know. Uh, Stadia shut down. Google's Stadia is officially done. That's a wrap. And it led to the like social teams of the other cloud service going like, oh, cloud, you know, like Amazon Luna tweeted like cloud gaming forever, guys. Like, yeah, hearts, heart emojis over to Google Stadia and all this stuff. Just like, all right. Come on. Um, 
Google did the 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 proper thing of uh, they they have issued a tool that lets you convert your Google Stadia controllers into Bluetooth controllers. Uh, it's a one way process, and they're like, "Hey, warning! If you run this, if you plug in your controller and run this tool, this controller is not going to work on Stadia anymore, guys." Hey, guess what? There's no Stadia left to run it on, so it's already a fucking brick. So, let's go, I guess. Um, It's something that runs in a browser, and uh, something that also, it will only be up through the end of the year, which is a really, I don't understand why that's the case, but Google has decided to make this tool available in limited fashion through the end of this year. It is something that does happen like in a local on a local connection, I don't think it necessarily needs to hit a server other than to download whatever the new firmware is or something. So it is something that people could probably do on their own once Google removes the tool. But I, Google hates to leave a website up, I'm finding. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah, you can access this for a little while, but hmm, we got to shut all this shit down, man. Fuck this. So uh, if you have a Stadia controller, you can convert it and... um And yeah, so uh, I guess I'll try to find my Stadia controller and do that. Because if I don't do it by the end of the year, then it'll be extra useless. It's not a good controller. So I'll go through the process of of making this a Bluetooth controller if I figure, if I find it. But it's not like I'd be like, ah, now I can use, it's a shitty controller. It's a bad device. (laughs) You know, it's, uh, there's so many, uh, oh God, you know, uh, so, so, but hey, it'll work. So that, that's something. Um, it's uh yeah I, the the end of Stadia is I I logged on the night that they were shutting it down I hopped onto Stadia and tried to play some Destiny and it would not connect to the servers so I imagine that Bungie pulled the plug early or something and uh, and I was like okay well all right I guess that's Stadia then um. How will Stadia be remembered? Probably right next to OnLive. But we still have these other cloud services. I mean, you know, people seem to, you know, like GeForce Now enough. Amazon Luna, I tried and did not care for. I would take, I would say it was notably worse than Stadia was. Uh, both in terms of available library, but they at least did have the concept of like, hey, you should be paying for a subscription service and not buying games on our cloud service that might shut down. <laughs> you know, they at least did that. Um, yes, Game Tap. Sure, Game Tap. Uh, what does Lady Sovereign think of cloud streaming? Game Tap. Um, And GeForce Now is, so I, I, as I said, I think last week or the week before, I am on, I am in a six-month trial of GeForce Now that I got through my television. And uh, I was disappointed by the number of available video games because it is not your full Steam library. It does hook up to Steam, but it's still like, it hooks up to Steam and then only shows games that uh, are supported by GeForce Now. And by supported, I mean through like business dealings seemingly 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I fired it up and it was like, we've got 1500 games. I'm like, cool. I'm like, Oh, but you don't have any of the games I am currently playing on here. So I, you know, it's a cool service. It seems to work quite well. I tested the latency, played some fighting games, did some different things with it. And I was like, oh, okay, yeah, no, this, this works. It's a little clunky to launch and takes a little long time to get into this weird, this weird single game steam client that they made. And you're like, oh yeah, the cool man. Like the latency feels good, but then it just doesn't have all of the games. And so n- none of them did honestly. So that, that's not a huge surprise. It's, it's not, you know, but at the same time, it really limited its usefulness to to me. So, like, all right. Marvel's Avengers is um, making its way out. That it is, it is, it is sliding out the side door. It is saying uh, thank you, good night. It is. Uh, It is uh, heading towards its final update, I suppose. It's not heading towards being shut down. That is not not a part. Nart. Whoa. Our not. Going all young skirt on you here. Um, the it is. They are going to issue some final updates here, and that they are going to just kind of put it out to pasture. To our amazing community, after two and a half years and introducing 12 of Earth's mightiest heroes, following update 2.8 on March 31st, 2023, we will no longer add new content or features to Marvel's Avengers. All official support for the game will end on September 30th, 2023. Even after official support ceases, both single and multiplayer gameplay will continue to be available. See below for more information. And so... They are... um, Let's see here. As of March 31st, they will no longer allow you to purchase credits, which is the premium currency used to buy cosmetics. All remaining credit balances will be converted into in-game resources and ongoing adventures. Here's a table with the resources that will be granted based on existing credit balances. And they've got, if you have 10,000 to 24,000 credits, they will give you 833,333 units and 83 DNA keys. And, you know, so they're, they're doing some kind of conversion on the way out there. On March 31st, we will make all the games marketplace challenge card and shipment cosmetic content available to all players for free. So basically anything that they were selling in the store, cosmetics wise, they will just give everyone for free. Um, which uh, someone pointed out that they were just very recently selling a $75 skin package in the store. So people who bought that are probably not fucking thrilled. Uh, Let's see. Gifting the full library of marketplace cosmetic content is a way to thank our community by letting everyone experience the breadth and depth of content in Marvel's Avengers. Okay, did did people, did anyone spending $75 on a skin package for Marvel's Avengers deserve to get ripped off? That's, look, I'm not going to say it. Chat said it. Um, 
Let's see. The changes we are making to how the game functions will ensure as, as long a life as possible. However, after September 30th, we can't guarantee that we will be able to address issues that occur due to unforeseen circumstances. Um, so yeah, they're going to put out one last update. Spider-Man will remain a PlayStation exclusive, which they, they had to put a separate thing into their Q and a about that for people. But like that, Yes, the Spider-Man's a Sony guy. Spider-Man is still a Sony guy. That didn't change. It's not... I I don't know why people thought that was not... That that was... Anyway. Will there be any additional bug fixes after update 2.8? We may deploy bug fix patches after update 2.8 and before September 30th if needed. However, we can't guarantee that we'll, we will be able to make any changes after the end of our support for the game. Um, they will also take the game off sale. They will be removed from storefronts and uh, digital storefronts and not, and not be able to be uh, sold there. Um, after September 30th, they're saying no new digital purchases of the game will be available after September 30th. And so the game is really just kind of vanishing. This, of course, led me to fucking go look at, like, I should get a PS5 copy of this. And, um, prices on that have already shot up in anticipation of it going off shelves. So, fucking, you can go get a PS4, like, there are other, so the PS4 version has a PS5 digital upgrade. But, like, specifically, I was like, oh, well, yeah, I, I, you know, it seems like the actual legit PlayStation 5 version would be the most limited version of the game to exist. So maybe that would be the one to get. And sure enough, that seems to be the one that's become hardest to find. Um, and I don't care. And also, I don't care. Also, I've got digital versions of it. It's like, so why would I even, that's stupid. It's stupid that I would even think that. It's not going to actually be worth anything. It's fucking pointless. But I don't know. I have a sealed copy of, um, Paragon, the epic MOBA. I have a sealed copy of that for PlayStation 4. Um, that game, it, it says uh, Marvel's Avengers is available on both on both Game Pass and PlayStation Plus Extra. And all of the changes discussed in this blog will apply to the Game Pass and PlayStation Plus Extra versions of the game. So I assume that means it will disappear from those services on the 30th. It seems like that this is something where like they will not have the Marvel license to work with anymore after this that in, in a way that would let them make meaningful changes or continue to sell the game even if they wanted to. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. You'll still be able to play the game seemingly and uh, and all that and they will give away all the cosmetics and... And that's it for Marvel's Avengers. I, uh, it's the sort of thing that you, you, you know, in the back of your head, this day is coming, you know, in the back of your head, eventually they're going to pull the plug on Marvel's Avengers because, uh, they're not going to sit there and work on it forever. They're not going to keep, you know, there's no point. They have sold all the copies of that. They're going to sell. Move on. It's time to move on. They did not turn that into a successful live game. It is time to go. And, uh, now they are. And, but at the same time, there's something about, I don't think that this is a great, 
Hey, Marvel's Avengers, not a great game. I know that's a fucking bold take. Uh, but as someone who finished that campaign and went on to look for end game content and tried to play more of it, uh, it's not, it's not a good game. It is a good story. I will say that's something that is, is sort of a shame that the single player campaign in that game, the story it told, I thought was actually kind of touching. I thought it was actually well done as someone who was not you normally a big superhero guy. I was like, Hey, this, this stuff is neat. This stuff is, is, is worth seeing. It's a fun story. Um, and so that aspect of it is a shame. But once you got to the end of that campaign, you were like, Oh, it just wants me to do variations of these levels and missions over and over again. I'm under no circumstances. Am I going to do that? This game does not play well enough. The loot is not fun enough. The upgrade path is not smooth enough. No part of that is enjoyable enough to grind against it up to the cap. And then remember, you probably don't remember because who the fuck would, but like at some point relatively early on, they made changes to the leveling curve in that game to make it take longer to level up characters. They realized people were burning through the progression too quickly and they were like, oh, um, yeah, we got to fix that. We've decided to fix it by making the numbers go up more slowly. Yes. And then we'll sell you an XP booster. So getting it at both ends is a really nasty route to go on that game. That game was just troubled from the start and never... Never found its footing. Never, ever found its footing. And so it, it never warranted... I, I think it, it it was a game that never warranted more support than it got. And I'm sure that there are people in the community that, of, of people that, that like that game that were like, they just need to do this. And this. like, nah, man. That's flushing more money down a toilet at that point. You're not going to turn it around. It's not Final Fantasy fucking... It's not the first Final Fantasy 14, you know, whatever. They're not going to make that game. They're not going to rebuild that game in a way that's going to be satisfying. It's it's just done. It's okay. It doesn't matter, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, sometimes games don't hit. They had a very ambitious plan along the way, but at no point in that game, when they started showing it publicly, at no point did that game make you go, oh, hell yeah, the Avengers. Oh, look at this amazing. Every step of the way, it was like, hmm. Yeah, I don't know. This is they're trying to do this story thing, but they also really want it to be kind of a live service game. And like, I don't know what they're doing with this, and none of it looks good. Um, and then it came out, and none of it played all that well. So I I feel for like you know the the, the story here behind the scenes sounds, you know, hey, it 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 could have gone a different way if different decisions had been made early on. Whatever, whatever. Either don't make it a live service game and just focus on that story. Or don't go into that story that way and try to, you know, there's just a lot. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what you, what you would have done to that to make it better, but it sounds like it had a, a tumultuous enough development that, um, it's unsurprising that it, it, it is meeting this fate. What do you take Avengers or Anthem? What's your, what's your, uh, what's your dead live game of choice? Babylon's don't, don't, and you can't say Babylon's fall. Because no one would. Um, I think the gameplay in Anthem is um, better. And I think the things that they eventually did to Anthem's loot helped. Um, And so I guess I would probably take Anthem. 
I guess I'd probably take Anthem. I saw some people saying Outriders. Outriders didn't have enough content to really qualify in this category, right? I mean, it's a live service game. Like they, they did their DLC, but it really it was a pretty straightforward loot game. Um, Godfall. No one's taken Godfall. Also, Godfall I don't think counts either. Wildstar, Jesus. Um, the thing that worries me about the Avengers, this is a. Uh, Asking in the chat. So the thing that worries me about Avengers is that the servers aren't even going to be shut down for a while. And even if they did, the game only needs one-time connection to work, yet they are pulling it from sale. So pulling it from sale probably implies that, like, if you look at that box, it implies things that won't be necessarily be possible. But really, pulling it from sale is, is it's the same reason that sometimes you can't buy Forza Horizon anymore. I'm sure it's a situation where, like, we no longer have the license to sell you this Marvel-based video game because we are pulling the plug that severely. This went that bad that we're just like, we're out, we're done, end of business, see you later. Um, and so that's the reason why it probably has to be pulled from shelves. It's not to say, but like, pull, what does pulled from shelves mean? It means you won't be able to buy digital copies of it. There will be physical copies of it around... It's not like, you know, September 30th is going to hit and GameStop's going to go like, break all the discs and send them, you know, like, though that stuff will make its way out there. I'm sure you'll see fucking $3 copies of Avengers in a goodwill the same way you see with Anthem. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm not I'm not too worried about that. It, it just means that, you know, you're you're not going to be able to find it on as many store shelves, but if you really want it, I'm sure you'll be able to get your hands on it one way or the other. Um, also, I, I don't know. This is probably not still the case, but there was a brief period of time there where, um, the PlayStation four saves a uh, saved games on PlayStation four. You were able to, hack them and rewrite them and re-sign them. And so you were able to download saves. Like people were selling tools and there were discords and stuff set up devoted to uh, trading around uh, save games for games or PS4 games specifically. And at the time I was investigating that stuff, it was right around the time that Avengers had come out and people were just like, there were just full discords full of hey here's here's the in the save file here's the the offset for every single item in the game you can hex edit your save and get you all of this stuff and then resign it and spit it out and 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 everything um and so from the get-go everything about the economy or the player leveling or everything about the numbers of avengers was compromised and I don't think that necessarily, you know, I'm not going to point at that goal. And that's why the game didn't take off. But it was like a thing of like, yeah, the game wasn't even a secure economy. It wasn't, you know, they, they, they there was a cheating problem in that game with, with those save editing stuff. And so just across the board, it was a, a game that was kind of a mess. And uh, yeah, I wish that Marvel Heroes still existed. I wish that a game that was Marvel Heroes, but maybe less of a free to play game. <laughs> Uh, still existed actually Marvel Heroes felt good 
as a Diablo style game with Marvel characters. I, I was a Captain America main and, uh, I hit the level cap with a couple of characters in that thing. But with Captain America, you would throw his shield and it would just bounce between a bunch of guys and then bounce back to you. And it was super fucking fun. It just, it, it felt good as an action RPG. That game just felt good. Um, and I, I do still kind of miss it. I miss it in the same way that like I, it would probably roll into my life the same way a fantasy star online two does from time to time. Be like, Oh right. Marvel heroes. I'm going to play another 20 hours of that and then not think about it for another 18 months. And, um, yeah, I, I liked Marvel heroes a lot. It's a shame that, that game got shut down. And I don't, I don't think that exists in any capacity. I don't know that there's, I don't know that anyone, if, if someone's running a private server for Marvel, Marvel heroes, fucking hit me up, man. Come on. I got the level five steam badge for that thing, man. Um, yeah, that was a cool game, but you know, Hey, games fail. And, uh, it's, it's unsurprising that Marvel's Avengers reached this state for some reason, whenever I think about Marvel heroes or, or just like games that where the plug got pulled, I think about auto assault. Remember that it was the MMO where you were a car and you just drove around and shot stuff. I still have sealed copies of auto assault that came with the soundtrack and stuff like that game just boom, just came and went super fast. It was like a cool idea and I remember playing it and going like, this game is not good, but God damn, it is close in like five different ways. If they could just get there, this game would be cool, but it, no, they didn't have enough players. And so it just went and just was fucking history, man. I wanted auto assault bad. I, I wanted auto assault to happen. Bad. I don't know why. I think for the same reason that I still, you know, like I've, I, I, I'm not a big pen and paper role playing guy, but car wars is fucking awesome. And it always was. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. And the, the, there's something about for as much as I think that like action based car combat games are kind of dog shit <laughs> for as much as I think that like the idea of trying to make a new twisted metal in this day and age is just a foolish, uh, foolish thing to do. Um, there's something about the idea of cars with guns on them that I think is fucking rad. But you know what? We need to come at it from more of a role-playing... Because I think that's where it gets cool. When Interstate 76 came out, and it was Mech Warrior, but with fucking muscle cars, it was cool as hell. When they put it on consoles and turned it into Vigilante 8, and it just became just another car combat game, it was like, okay, well, I guess this is kind of better than Twisted Metal, but... Vigilante 8 is still not 
It is not Interstate 76. It is not even Interstate 82. Give me Groove Champion or give me death, I say. That is when, when, my, if, when and if Microsoft takes control of the Activision properties, God damn it, put Interstate 76 on Game Pass. <laughs> And then make a new Interstate 76. Make a new Interstate 76. Make a new Interstate 76. It's just that easy. To make that kind of like role-playing style take on a car with guns. The way Car Wars was, the the way Auto Duel was on computers back in the day. I think that that is is a cool concept. And and I think that's a much more interesting concept than any kind of the, the Twisted Metal style of car combat. Like I just fucking whatever man um anyway marvel's avengers I, there, there's like a part of me that was like i should play some more marvel's avengers in in the wake of this but like i got a character to somewhere near the level cap and got to a point where the fucking Everything about the, like, I, I, I got to a point with that game where every single point I was spending when I would level up was going into something that I just didn't care about. Like, the, the skill trees in that game were just bad. The, just everything about Marvel's Avengers just felt like it was slapdash isn't the word, but it was just like, this is not conducive to making a game that you want to play long term. There's nothing about this. There's nothing about the back half of this product that feels like it was really well thought out in terms of, hey, here's how we're going to have, here's how we're going to really, you know, reward people that stick with a character and and stick with a game. It just never, it never felt like it was just well considered in that regard. And, and, and they they just didn't do a good job at, at making that content work or that end of the leveling scale work. And, you know, of course they add, I'm sure they added new end game content after I stopped playing it, but out of the gate, the stuff that they wanted you to do after finishing the campaign was really not rewarding in a meaningful way because the best parts of that, about that game are its story. And so playing that game removed from its story it just felt like a giant waste of time in a world where like there are a billion games coming out every 20 minutes. The idea of saying Marvel's Avengers, that's my game. Like, no, who would do that? You'd have to be a lunatic. Um, speaking of lunacy, speaking of bad decisions that I am all for not bad. Hmm. It seems like Sega is going to make a new Cosmic Smash. Potentially in VR. Uh, they have uh, tweeted They have tweeted some stuff. Um, they have csmashvrs.com and they have that similar uh, name on 
social media. They have posted a teaser image that is, you know, reasonably Cosmic Smash-esque. You look at it and go like, okay, that's that's. I'm sure that's what you're doing. Cosmic Smash was one of the last Dreamcast games to be published by Sega. It may have been the very last one, but I do not know um, off the top of my head. It is a behind-the-back breakout game. You are a character with a paddle, and there is a ball, and you are hitting it into a well from a behind-the-back perspective. You're moving back and forth and jumping, and there are uh, blocks at the other end of the screen, and you are hitting them. It is a very stylish thing. It has great voice work between levels, the most casual announcer in the history of video gaming. And you look at it and you, and you see immediately how it could be a VR game because this VR game I'm sure has been made three dozen times by now of like, Oh, what if we, what if we, what if we gave you a paddle and you hit blocks or, you know, like the number of different ping pong games and, and whatever else like cosmic smash is something that could very easily be done in VR, I think. Or, or, or would very easily translate to VR. I don't want to say it would be easy to develop because what the fuck do I know? Um, and so it is among my favorite Dreamcast games. And in, in not to say that I am amazing at it or, or whatever. Um, as I started playing some of it yesterday because it has retro achievements now on Dreamcast. And I was like, oh man, these achievements are, I'm, this is going to be hard. Oh, fuck. Um, but I think something with this level of style, I think something that with this, this level of panache could be really cool in VR. It's easy to see how this game would be in VR. And um, that seems to be what they're doing. Uh, Video Games Chronicle has picked up on who has been retweeting this news and is using that to try to piece together what is happening here. Uh Wolf and Wood, which is a British studio that worked on a VR game called The Last Worker, retweeted the teaser site on Monday, along with several several developers who work there. And so one would then presume that uh, Wolf and Wood is working on a Cosmic Smash reboot in VR. That seems to be the news we're headed for. There's a countdown timer on the website they set up that seems to be, well, we said probably about 19 days away now. Um... Ken Ishii, who did music in Res, also posted the teaser site. So maybe he's, uh, maybe Ken's got some, got some music in there. That could be kind of cool. And so I think if they, yes, if they, if they hit upon the style of Cosmic Smash, if they have the, um, if they have the announcer just being very laid back, Cosmic Bus 737. Have fun. Like, I, I think that that goes a long way uh, for me, but uh, we'll we'll see. This is one of those things that, yeah, I, I think this is sort of a no-brainer in terms of, yeah, you could definitely do Cosmic Smash as a VR game, and also the idea of doing any kind of Pong or Paddle-like thing in VR has been so done to death over the years that I look at it and go like, it's going to have to be goddamn good to stand out in this day and age in terms of being a VR video game, we'll see what they come up with. Uh, we'll see what they come up with, man. I, you know, whatever. I just, the very idea that someone was able to pitch and get a green light through for 
what seems like it is going to be a Cosmic Smash game. And then VRS, you know, C Smash VRS. You would assume VR, it means VR. Or is this, but it is also this their clumsy way of spelling versus while also evoking VR. Is it a competitive Cosmic Smash game? Eh, that sounds a little less interesting, but uh, but Cosmic Smash did have bonus levels that did imply that what if you played this against a person? So I, you know, I could see that being a facet of the game, but I don't know. What the heck do I know? What I do know is that I like Cosmic Smash. And so, yeah, uh, does this end up being a PlayStation VR 2 launch game? I don't know. This seems like something that you would just announce. I don't know. The, the idea of, of keeping this under wraps. The idea of having a countdown timer uh, that appears to be, again, uh, we are at uh, 19 days, 19 hours, 52 minutes, 51 minutes now until this countdown timer uh, elapses. And so what is 19, what is 20 days from now? Basically that is three weeks minus one. So that's not quite the PlayStation VR two launch date. It's getting close, but, but it's not quite there yet. And this is the sound that the teaser site makes. The thing I'll say about the teaser site is that it does not necessarily evoke Cosmic Smash all that effectively. And in fact, some of the percussive kind of cymbal hits in there kind of sound more like a res than a Cosmic Smash to me. Um, but we will see. I don't know. I Either way, like I, I think that's cool. I think, again, the very idea... Assuming that we are talking about a Cosmic Smash game. Because, you know, they, they did what? They did that Space Channel 5 for VR. Like, Sega's been willing to throw out some VR stuff here and there and have other external developers work on it. So it's totally within the realm of possibility that that's what we're looking at. And I just think the idea that, like, someone was open to take a pitch at Sega of, like, hey, let's make a Cosmic Smash VR game and that actually seems to be going through and actually happening is cool. You know, Cosmic Smash is not a property that you would expect to ever hear from again, even though it does really lend itself well, I think, to a, to a VR product. It's the, it's the sort of thing that it's a, it's a subset of a subset of players that are at all aware of Cosmic Smash's existence. And so playing off of that existing game doesn't get you that much. It doesn't give you like a built-in like we've got to run out and pre-order now, you know, in in a quantity that makes a ton of sense. But also, I guess if they're making a VR game, we're talking about a subset of a subset anyway. So I, I don't know. I don't know. Potentially very exciting. Uh, well, whatever. It, it's very exciting. Like that's fucking great. Even if that game comes out and is garbage, I do think that the idea that like there's gonna probably be a Cosmic Smash game releasing in 2023. I mean, this game didn't even come out in the U.S., you know? It's it's a, it was an arcade game that was ported to Dreamcast and released in, in Japan. It's pretty fucking obscure. And it came out super late. Again, one of the last Dreamcast releases, probably. Um, And so I, I think, yeah, the, the very idea that 
that we're even able to entertain this as a concept is really crazy. So awesome. I'm looking forward to seeing what the hell that is. That is something I will hook up VR for. That is something I'll be like, yeah, man, whatever. I'll, if I got to hook my quest up to make that a reality, I'll do it. Um, if that ends up being a thing that's on PlayStation VR 2, that makes me excited that I was able to get my hands on an order for one of those. Yeah, because I, I want to see that. I need to see that. I need to see what a new Cosmic Smash ends up being. That's all. Um, last news story here. Riot says uh, some source code of theirs has been stolen and is being held for ransom. They posted on the 20th and uh, followed up this morning with some more details. The source code for League of Legends, Team Fight Tactics, and a legacy anti-cheat platform were exfiltrated by the attackers. Um, they say that they are confident that no player data was included in this hack. Uh, that there's been no indication that player data or personal information was obtained and that it is uh, that they were compromised via a social engineering attack. This sounds not entirely dissimilar to the, the GTA stuff. Uh, they go on to say, today we received a ransom email. Needless to say, we won't pay. While this attack disrupted our build environment and could cause issues in the future, most importantly, we remain confident that no player data or player personal information was compromised. Uh, this is a series of tweets here, so it's a little disjointed. Th truthfully, any exposure of source code can increase the likelihood of new cheats emerging. Since the attack, we've been working to assess its impact on anti-cheat and to be prepared to deploy fixes as quickly as possible if needed. The illegally obtained source code also included a number of experimental features. While we hope some of these game modes and other changes eventually make it out to players, most of this content is in prototype and there's no guarantee it will ever be released. So it seems like they're just kind of like setting the stage for, hey, when this shit gets released, you're going to see some stuff. And no, this didn't, this didn't mean that all of this stuff was coming to League tomorrow or ever. Um, they're conducting an audit. They've notified law enforcement. We're committed to transparency and will release a full report in the future detailing the attackers techniques, the areas where riots security controls failed and the steps we're taking to ensure this doesn't happen again. We've made a lot of progress since last week and we believe we'll have things repaired later in the week, which will allow us to remain on our regular patch cadence going forward. The league and TFT teams will update you soon on what this means for each game. So yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like it has disrupted their build process because if, if there's a compromise there, they can't, they can't exactly keep it up and operational. And so it's probably slowed down development, uh, while they figure out what the hell happened. Um, and, uh, I'm, you know, hey, I'm surprised, I guess, to see another person out there this soon or group out there this soon trying to uh, extort money out of a publisher over source code theft. Um, Considering how the Rockstar stuff went and how quickly the guy uh, associated with the Rockstar theft was picked up. Um... Will these criminals be smarter? Who knows? We'll see how that all comes together for them. That's uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a fascinating world that we live in that this is 
something that kind of continues to happen. Um, and that, uh, and that they'll try to hold it for ransom. I don't know. Like what, you know, and, and what this means for, yeah, I guess like the, the impact here, assuming that, uh, you know, there's no, assuming they're correct and there's no player data or their personal stuff. It really is just kind of like, what does this do about the game in terms of cheats for the game? Cause this sounds a lot like if it's got stuff, a prototype stuff that's unreleased, if it's like that fresh, if it's that new, then this is probably pretty current source for league and team fight tactics. It's not like, Hey, they got access to some repo that has some, years old fork on it, you know, or something like that. This sounds like it is, it is live or close to live code, um, for those two games. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, they'll probably have to change their anti-cheat process up quite a bit. And, um, we'll probably see, uh, some unscrupulous devs from some part of the world, uh, stealing some of this code and, implementing it or something like, I mean, we probably won't see it because we'll probably never know, but, uh, I'm sure there will be some mobile game that will ending end up having pieces of fucking team fight tactics code in it somewhere. And we'll just never know. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's it for the news. Um, yes, you, yes. Uh, all has the answer. Just use punk buster. Yeah, man, let's just get punk buster out here. How many different versions of easy anti-cheat do I need to install across different games to make sure that I'm extra secured? Um, <laughs> gosh. All right. Well, that's it for the news. Why don't we get into some emails? Podcast at guard.bike is the email address to send in your emails. And I will take a look at them. And, uh, and, and so on and so forth. I'm going to start with an email from an anonymous emailer who has written in with some news about uh, the, the headline of this email is the deal with X defiant. We were talking about Ubisoft's X defiant last week and like, Oh, right. That thing, that thing still probably exists, huh? Cause that, that game was announced and they only said they canceled unannounced games one of which appeared to be that Project Q game that was kicking around. Anyway. Um, okay, so I'm not going to read the top of this email. I'm instead going to read the bottom of this email. And uh, here is what this person, who would know, had to say about X Defiant. X Defiant is indeed still coming out. In fact, I think they are kind of banking on it to kind of bail their ass out of the mess they are in. Doubt it's enough to. The game has gone through so many iterations at this point that it's hard to track. It went from a budget FPS with Division 2 assets to a Tom Clancy game. And then the main reason for the pivot was because of the pandemic and how the game world of the Division was a lot less attractive with a real pandemic going on, which is a point I totally forgot about. We were talking about like, oh man, they're going to eventually, yeah, they'll do they'll do a Division 3 at some point. It's like, oh right, the dollar flew. No one wants to fucking fuck with that shit right now. Um, of course anyway it continues other Tom Clancy franchises were brought in and they started that whole thing with the stupid spray paint everywhere something that was pushed really hard from above to make it bright 
Then they realized that nobody wants funky Tom Clancy, and so they removed that tagline. And so, yeah, at some point it went from Tom Clancy's ex-defiant to just ex-defiant. The game is actually in a much better place right now, although still not great considering Ubisoft seems hell-bent on ignoring it despite having some pretty exciting things coming to it. Communication with the community and keeping the hype meter going just really hasn't been happening. While no Call of Duty killer, the gameplay is very solid now, and if it wasn't for all the turnover, bad decisions by management, and refusal to pay people a competitive wage would probably be set up for some level of success. Development is slowly crawling along, and I do think it will come out in 2023, 2024 at the latest, if delayed again. Again, if you're just joining us, this is an anonymous email from someone who has some, um, let's say, knowledge of ex-defiant development. Uh... The game has gone full Smash Brothers at this point, and not only do you have Division 1 and 2 maps and characters, but maps and characters from multiple Far Cry entries, Splinter Cell, Ghost Recon, The Crew, Watch Dogs 2, multiple Assassin's Creed entries like Odyssey and Valhalla, and a bunch more. Pretty much anything is on the table at this point, so for people that like those franchises, it could be kind of fun. It's a shame it's not being promoted better, looking at the YouTube channel for it. It's all full of outdated gameplay videos that are a disservice to the teams that are working hard on it. Love the podcast, so on and so forth. Um, yeah, so if I can if I can play as Aiden Pierce and get his iconic hat, then I am an X-Defiant fan. I saw some X-Defiant gameplay, uh, God, probably like a fucking year ago now. It feels like it was forever ago. Um... And then, yeah, in fact, yeah, they 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 have not shown much of that game at all. And, and it, I guess it's good to know that it is still chugging along somewhere. Like it, it, it always seemed like the game that it very much seemed like they were trying to make something that fit into a call of duty shaped hole, much the same way that when EA brought medal of honor back and had it alongside battlefield medal of honor was the game that they were putting in place to try to, I don't even think they thought it was going to outsell Call of Duty. They were just like, well, if we can bring Call of Duty down a notch, then Battlefield can benefit. The same reason they fucked over Titanfall. Um, and, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I will say that as far as, like, weird, the visual style of X Defiant always seemed... It was something that looked it the, every last time I saw it looked a whole lot more interesting than I'm going to say 90% of the games that Ubisoft seemed to have out over the last year or more. Uh, yeah. Now the question is, yes, what happened with the division heartland? That's that free to play division game that, um, who knows, who knows, right? That did that get officially announced? Cause I feel like the language around cancellations at Ubisoft has been very careful uh, around um, we canceled three unannounced games, and so Heartland was announced, right? It was it that wasn't just a leak. Yeah, that's beta signups, right? Yes. And so, yeah, is that still a thing? And was that that was the but that was also Heartland was the game where they were like, hey, it's a, not a battle royale, but also it's a battle royale. Oh wait, you don't want a battle royale? Uh, mm-hmm. We're gonna cancel all of these other gameplay sessions and think about this longer. Was that where Heartland ended up? I forget some of the reporting around Ubisoft recently. That's a Tarkov like, yeah. Okay. Then sure. Move right on to the next potential trend. So call of duty beat him there too. I guess. I don't know. Um, 
some of the reporting around Ubisoft and these cancellations and what's going on over there has been really fascinating to follow because you have people saying like, hey, they at, at some point had like a dozen Battle Royale games in development. And you're like, what? <laughs> Why? And just give it to every single team. Like, hey, can you crack this nut for us? And then they, they did have the ones that did come out, right? The... um. I can't even remember the name of it. It was the it was the last game that Eric Pope worked on when he was at Ubisoft. That's the only way. Hyperscape. Hyperscape. That's the one. Um, which had some ideas, but I, you know, I don't know. It wasn't it was never very much fun. Um, so the the very idea that like they had this many different teams trying to figure out battle royale games after this many different years is really wild. Uh and like, will any of those ever see the light of day? I don't know. It feels like they completely missed the window for battle battle Royale, unless they've got something completely different, right? Because I would have said that every year since 2017 or 2018, right? Of oh, like, Oh, battle Royale. That's there's no room for anybody else. Fortnite's chewing it all up, but then you saw apex hit. And I think, I think Rumbleverse is another really good example of like, oh, if you make this a melee focused game and make it feel completely, completely different. And it's not just another shooter. Like you can take this gameplay and apply it differently and, 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 and apply this mode differently in, in really cool ways. And, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Um, so I think if, if people come up with fun twist, yeah, Tetris 99. Sure. Yeah. If people come up with different twists on the concept of, of a battle royale, I do think that there's more there. Um, but, you know, to be like, oh, we've got all these clants. We got all this hot clants around here. Let's what can we slap the Tom Clancy name on this? And so all of them end up in this vaguely military zone, you know, militaristic zone. That's already done. I think the idea of like, Hey, we're making a shooter. that is a battle Royale. I don't, I don't think that that's, I think that door is mostly shut. It would take a lot to break that open in this day and age. But, uh, does halo need a battle Royale? No, it does not. It absolutely does not. I, I, I don't think that that gameplay would be super exciting in a, in a battle Royale environment. I think there's stuff you could do. Well, think about think about the large scale of Halo when you think about the maps that have vehicles and and all of that stuff. If you take that style of Halo gameplay and you've got four idiots and a warthog going around doing all the dumb shit that they would do in co-op, but it's competitive there is a scenario where that leads to some pretty fun and cool moments. But again, I, I think that ship has kind of sailed. I, I don't, I don't, I just don't think that that's, I don't think that that's something that's going to like bring people into the fold or something that's necessarily going to like save halo or, or like, I don't think that's a big needle mover for them. If they were to go that route, uh, I'll put it that way. Like you could do a Halo Battle Royale and I think there's stuff about it that probably would make sense, but I just don't, I don't think that's something that is going to like 
really turn people out of the game. I don't think it's something that would end up being a breakout hit that would be like, oh, this is what Halo is now. I guess you know, like I I don't think that they would do that. I don't think it would have that find that level of success. I guess is my point. Um. Yeah, the Halo Five mode, the the car the cards and all the yes the the with the the MOBA mode. Yeah, I guess it is kind of a MOBA mode, but um. Yes, that Halo Five mode was yuck, man. What a ugh, yuck! No, thank you. Um, Troy from Virginia writes in and says, "An episode or two ago, you were talking about how Naughty Dog has been trying to emulate movies. Then you went on to say that movies is a bad form to emulate. What do you feel Naughty Dog should be doing to push games forward as a medium, a narrative story where player choices matter?" In Inter- an interactive sandbox environment that reacts out to how the players play, interlinks mechanics that make for a dynamic combat system. These are all good. Yes, sure. All three of those. Why not? Yeah. All three of those are would be fun things to pursue. I think, you know, storytelling that uh, works alongside the gameplay. I think that like the way that a lot of the Naughty Dog games play, I am done with. Uh, on top of that. So, so I think that there's, there's probably a much bigger, I, I, I never felt super strongly about the gunplay in any of the uncharted games in terms of its, its place in the like cover shooter pantheon for as much as it is, it is one of those. Uh, I don't think they did a very good job at making that feel great the way that some other cover shooters have done. Um, and so I, you know, I, I think that that's a, that's a big thing for me. I didn't especially like the way that I, some people really love the way last of us handles stealth. And when all of those systems come together, you see some really awesome moments of just like crazy, just like, Oh my God, you, you were up against all these dudes and you just like jumped out, shotgun, this, do this, do hit this, 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 like the, the way that people are putting those systems together these days and putting out highlight clips of them doing wild shit in Last of Us, you're like, man, if that was a level of play that was attainable to more players, then I, maybe I would have liked Last of Us a little bit more. Um, I just think that, yes, the the storytelling in a more emergent way, as opposed to now here's the next cutscene, and now we've got our big cinematic set piece where you're, you know, you're running into the camera now and, you know, like the, the set pieces that when you fail them, you're like, fuck, now I have to do this thing over and again, again, where like, if it's a set piece where you finish it the first time, you're like, that's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in a video game. Wow. What a crazy moment. But if you die halfway through and then have to do all of it again, you're like, oh man. All right. Jump here. Do this roll here. Okay. All right. Just don't. So I, I think that like, yeah, that, that level of set piece, I think is, is absolutely done for as much as it is some of the most impressive looking stuff in gaming and the idea that it is interactive at all helps. I think that, uh, they have, they, they spent too much time leaning on that through those uncharted games and, um, yeah, the Uncharted 2 train sequence was never top. You're right. That's yes. Uh, I I think that, you know, when I think about Uncharted specifically, it's I just don't think the shooting was ever great. I don't think that the 
The set pieces were fun to play through a second time. And I never thought that the characters or storyline were, were super engaging. It was just like, cause when you really take the story and, and, and go like, okay, well, what are we looking at here? You're like, okay, we've got this like sub Indiana Jones kind of like knockoff of those stories and, and concepts and like movies do that better. That's what they're there for. And so when you pursue that cinematic style, you know, the the bar starts to go a lot higher and you're like, okay, yeah, this is the most impressive cinematic video game ever made. But like, is that what I want to play to me? The answer is no now. Yeah. Uncharted two, uncharted two was the last uncharted. I, I like would say I liked, I guess everything after that was like, these are fine, but I just don't, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I just don't care. It's, they have not, you know, they, they're doing this again and it's, it's more impressive in every way, but it's like, ah, I'm, I'm good on this. I'm good on this. And so I, yeah, I think that I, you know, they have considerable talent across every single discipline, right? So how do we do this? How do, how do you, how do they take those pieces and blast them apart and assemble them in a new way? in a way that feels more modern in a way that feels like it is more equipped to take advantage of what makes games games, whether that's like emergent storytelling or emergent moments that are then worked into the story in meaningful ways. And you know, the, the, is it, is it a, is it player choice? Like not, not purely it's not purely player choice because plenty of games have player choice and it's all fake. This is one of those things we were talking about AI before, and this is not something that we'll see anytime soon, but God damn, man, I, the thing I have always wanted is a game that was truly reactive to the player's actions in every way and not in ways that feel canned or ways that feel like not in ways that make you feel like, uh, I've got to go down the checklist of like, how do we find a way to, uh, okay, well, if they do this, then we want to have a voice line here. And if they take too long, we want to have a voice line here. This is the thing that that fucking high on life game did is that they sat down and built their list of like, oh yeah, man, if we, if we, if this guy, what would a player do here? They might shoot this. They might shoot this character before we want them to. And so let's write a lot of line of dialogue here that cuts it off. And, and oh, if they pause the game here, we want to have a line of dialogue that, you know, makes it, makes it look like we thought of that one too. And so it ends up being, you know, like it's the Stanley parable, but bad <laughs> with the way high on life's, uh, you know, is like reactive, you know, it's bastion, but gross. Uh, it, it's, it's bastion, but, but like really canned in a really obvious and shitty way. Whereas bastion was doing it long enough ago that you're like, man, this is, this is crazy. Um, but how do you truly account for everything, every way a player would do things and, and, and in ways that feel like it's part of that world without breaking fiction, without having to wink and nod at the player, like, Oh, you just jumped 20 times in a row. You little nut, uh, or, or, Oh, you know, the way fable would, right? Like, Oh, you're a chicken chaser. You know, the, the things that you would go like, Oh yeah. Hey, you, uh, you're doing a thing. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I just, I feel like the, the, 
making those moments matter and making them feel like they could be part of the full story and having a game having a game's story react to you the way a good dungeon master might react to you in a role playing game session like how do you how do you reach those levels of like well the party decided to meander and do a bunch of dumb shit over here so we've adjusted the story so it actually kind of leads them in that direction or we find a way to get them back onto a track or you know but like I guess like the track is the problem leading players back to the track is the problem and yeah you say that's 50 years away yeah maybe I don't you know yeah right maybe maybe 50 years away all this AI shit seems like it could do that eventually Maybe. Maybe. So I I don't know. I I think it's... I want for storytelling what ray tracing does for lighting. I want it to not be canned. I want it to be reactive and realistic in the way the situation would actually go. If that makes any sense. Um... And you want it to not feel like it's it has to be smart enough to do it and not hold your hand. It has to be good enough to do it in a way that uh, that you don't see the gears of the machine turning. Like, that's the problem, right? Is, you know, there are games that do this and are impressive in the ways that they do it. And you you look at it, but you go like, oh, okay, yeah. No, that's just, what that is, is human human time spent accounting for a lot of these different situations. But then I just found 20 more that they didn't account for. And boy, that now looks like an uncanny valley compared to the, the the moments that they did decide to write. And how do you do that? That's AI, right? That's that is the potential promise of AI because you can't do that with that is yes, we need more crunch. Yeah, no. Well, well, if we took seven years to develop a game, and you know, you you're it's not going to work from a numbers, from a business perspective, right? You're just like, you can't spend that kind of time on a game, especially for something as insane as that, that most players might not ever see. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think that if you can, if you can nail that with technology, with very like well-guided human hand on the steering wheel technology, then, um, then you might be onto something, but like, I, I don't know. Is Naughty Dog going to be the company that cracks that nut? Probably not. I don't know. It, it's, it's, I think from Naughty Dog, I would like to see something like a very dramatically different type of game from them. Um, and something that, you know, that, that is just feels bigger from a world perspective. That one Uncharted game that had those kind of more open world segments where they drove around in the Jeep felt refreshing in a way by comparison to what all of the other Uncharted games kind of were. And, um, you know, so yeah, do they end up doing more stuff like, like Lost Legacy? Do they, do they take those experiments and expand upon them in in meaningful ways because lost legacy would still funnel you. It's the same thing that gears five did where it's an illusion of an open world and halo infinite. The campaign sort of does that as well, where 
you've got these these moments in the Gears campaign where you're out in this open world driving around on the ice. And there's a, there are some things. Yeah, God of War is, yes. Uh, this style of the kind of false open world kind of entered into vogue over these last few years. And on paper, you look at what Gears 5 is doing and you go, okay, yeah, you're kind of, uh, you, it's this, it's, it's, it's they, when, when they, yes, when they were promoting, when they were coming up with Sonic Frontiers and trying to promote this open zone name, they should have just said like, you know, like Gears 5 and you would have been like, oh, got it. But the level transitions in Sonic Frontiers are way more obvious. Whereas Gears 5 does a thing of like, you see icons on the map and some of them are just like, here's like one combat encounter and some, some, uh, items, some resources, whatever it is. I forget what you're even like a robot upgrade, whatever the fuck it is. Um, like, Oh, there's a crashed convoy over here. And if you go here and kill the 20 guys that are standing there, there's some bonus shit you can get. that You're never going to need, but it's an open world. Anything can happen. And you're like, no, it's, it can't, but okay. And then you have the icons on the map that are like, here's the main shit. And when you go there, there's this hard transition of Marcus Phoenix goes ducks under a branch and does a walk and talk and you get your, uh, you know, it feels like you very much entered a cut scene. And then on the other end of it, you're in a very standard looking gears of war level of like, okay, now here's the part where I run forward and chainsaw dudes. And then we complete that and it's a big loop and we don't necessarily double back on ourselves. So it doesn't look like we're backtracking, but we kind of come out where we came in and there's our vehicle waiting for us and we get back in and we go drive to the next thing. And for the Gears franchise, you look at that and go like, well, this is a step up in some ways because it feels like there's a little bit more player agency at, involved. But when you really break it down, it's not. It's some optional things that are barely worth doing. You know, they, they experimented and I think it's like a successful experiment, but it doesn't mean it's an open world game. The levels are very much like they could have taken all of that open world shit out and just had cutscenes that connect you from level to level to level. And it would have just felt like another gears campaign. Like the open stuff did not add a ton of meaningful things to it. It was just like, here's your desert. Now here's your snow or, or ice or whatever. And you're like, okay, well, that was fun. And it was fun. I don't know. But, uh, it's and I I don't think that necessarily like linear ass games are a bad thing. I don't think that's something to necessarily run from or be ashamed of. I, I do like that Gears Five tried to experiment with it, and I thought that campaign was actually all right. But those elements of it felt false. Those elements of hey, it's it's, it's got whiffs of an open world game. It just didn't that didn't come across effectively, or or it came across for what it was. You know, it's like oh, this is a facade. This is not. You are not making an open world game in the sense that Ubisoft makes an open world game. And that's, you know, whether that's a good or a bad thing is up to individual judgment. I will, you know, grant you. But um, as an experiment, I thought it was kind of cool. Um, but ultimately, it, it just felt false. And so I, I think that like that's that's the thing, right? Is how do you make a you know, and, and one of the other things Troy brings up is an interactive sandbox environment that reacts to how the player plays. Like maybe, 
What if all games were just cool like Mercenaries was? What if it's, here's Nathan Drake in a big open world, and it's, you know, and there's guys doing things on schedules, and you've got to kill. That was always the thing that, like, Assassin's Creed, like, the promise of Assassin's Creed was this idea of you've got to kill these people, and they're going to live their lives because this is an open world. And where you intersect with them matters. And you can shadow them and you can, you can find here's the exact right moment to, to kill them when no one else is around and here, but none of it mattered. They, they gave the player so many different ways out of it of just like, yeah, or just not, I don't know, or just kill them wherever and run away. It's fine. Um, yeah. Hitman, the, the clockwork nature of Hitman, I think is fucking badass. but like, that's a game where part of what makes it amazing is that you see every gear turning, right? That's a game that you get better at by exploiting and it feels great. That is a game that like at its best is unafraid to be a fucking video game and it's dumb as shit and it's incredible. You know what I mean? Like, yes, you could, you know, you could do a Hitman game in a bigger way that you didn't see those gears turning. You do, you know, but like the fun of Hitman is all of that silly show, all of the like, oh, this guy's going to go here and do this and he's going to walk on this cycle that is very stupid and not realistic, but makes for a lot of very obvious gameplay fun. And you're like, oh, here's the 20 ways I can kill this guy in ways that like feel um, rewarding. I mean, you could always just run up and shoot a guy wherever, right? But I mean, the like, oh, I did this thing and that opened up this and then we dropped the chandelier and... You know, like all of the weird clockwork contraptionary kind of dumb things you can do to get a guy over here so you can poison him and do this and wear this suit and the the it's like a game of mousetrap. It is that Rube Goldberg style thing of of like you set all this in motion and you watch it all unfold and it's incredible fun. But that's like the opposite of it in a lot of ways, right? Because the the value of Hitman, the the fun of Hitman is in once you've learned the nature of Hitman and how players operate, you start to think about the levels as a Hitman player. And you start to think about things. You approach new situations through Hitman vision. And you go, oh, oh, I bet I can do this, 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 and this, and I can make this happen and make that. And you start to think about the levels that way. It's like, it's like after playing a lot of Tony Hawk and then walking around the world and seeing a bunch of things and going like, I bet if I was a skateboarder, I could jump from this rail over to here and do that. You know, the, the, you see the world a little differently. Um, and I think Hitman is astounding at doing that. I'm excited to see what they do with bond because it's just, it's just silly. Like, like how, how far do they go and how much do they change from kind of the, the Hitman concepts for making it about a, a crazy super spy? I don't know. I assume there's more driving sequences. Um, but like that felt like the in- initial promise of Assassin's Creed and it never quite got there and never felt like it got there. And they only got further and further away from it as time went on, you know? Um, so I don't know. I, I think that like, I look at it as a, a situation where Naughty Dog has some of the most talented teams in the industry, assuming they're all still there and they didn't, you know, whatever, but like, but Naughty Dog has, had the resources and the teams to make some very well-regarded 
very like expensive, crazy looking things that you look at and go like, no one else in gaming is able to do this. But also I would say that Naughty Dog has done a lot of that. And so where do you go? What do you do? You know, what do you do to change that? And, and what do you do to change that in a way that is actually fresh? Because if you were like, oh, well, what if we made the next Last of Us a big open world, more of a survival game, more, you know, like, okay, yeah, there are a billion survival games. And sure, you could do Naughty Dog's uh, spin on that and make a very high budget survival game and, you know, and whatever. But like, I, I don't think that that's necessarily, I, I feel like that's some of that stuff has already been done too. And so I think the thing I would love to see from them is something that we're not going to think of. I guess, right? I, I think the thing I would, I would like to see out of a, out of a naughty dog is like something brand new, something you look at and you don't recognize the bones of it. You don't look at it and go like, oh, well, clearly the stealth mechanics of Last of Us are being put to good use here in whatever the next game is, you know. Um, but yeah, you know, yeah, exactly. Like they'll they'll do that multiplayer Last of Us thing. And that was a really neat thing. As much as I was not like a big Last of Us fan, like the multiplayer stuff, the way they were trying to integrate your friends list, all the silly stuff that they did around that was fascinating and so yeah what if you took all of that and expanded it and tried to make this and tried to make that matter more from a narrative perspective what if you tried to do narrative work more narrative work in a multiplayer game right can you do that can they find a way to do that i mean if anyone can i mean they they would certainly have the resources to do it right um so, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe something along those lines could be, you know, and we'll see what they end up coming up with for the for the multiplayer thing. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. The idea of a Last of Us sequel, the idea of a um, Uncharted sequel, it's like, eh. That's not, that's not especially exciting to me um but also like yeah the idea of yeah them are they going to go on to make like a really polished state of decay style game like no that that doesn't i don't think that really works for me either or i I don't think i think that they could do something fresh and new and and exciting and i hope that that is something that they end up doing Ryan from Phoenix writes in and says, me and some guys were chatting about the Dreamcast. Yeah, I mean, shit, man, who isn't doing that? Three days a week, I'm out walking around having combos about Dreamcast with some guys and about how most notable games for that platform have better ports or versions available on other platforms. Hmm. Hmm. That is certainly true in some cases, but I don't know that I would agree with that across the board. Anyway, my feeling is that this is ultimately dampened the legacy of the Dreamcast. It is now just a sad memory. Is it now just a sad memory for Sega Sickos? Or does the Dreamcast still have value? Yes, John. Yes, Red Dog. You can't get Red Dog anywhere else. Alien Front Online did come out in arcades, but not, you know... 
yeah, Skies of Arcadia, did that make it out to Dream as a to GameCube or something? But like I don't know that that's the yeah. I, I Is that still the best version of Marvel versus Capcom 2 because it had the like secret whatever the the leveling stuff in it? Uh Like that is still the best version of that game, right? I don't think Power Stone, I mean, Power Stone came out on PSP or something, but it's not like that game came out a billion different places. Um, so I think I disagree, but, I, but also I, I, there are, I will say that the third party situation on Dreamcast is maybe, is maybe what you're talking about in this case, because you did have these situations where you look at it and go like, yeah, okay. Uh this is the best version of Razor Freestyle Scooter. This is the best version of Tony Hawk 2 technically, but I probably prefer the Dreamcast controller. I'm, I'm sorry, I probably prefer using a PlayStation controller to play Tony Hawk. And so even that's kind of a toss up where like clearly this is a better looking game and it runs at a more stable frame rate, but boy, that PlayStation controller and Tony Hawk just fit together really really well. Yeah, no, John, you're right. He says Dreamcast's biggest block, uh, black spot in terms of its legacy is the lack of a second analog stick, which makes some games feel pretty lousy to play in the present day. Yeah, definitely. Like some of the control stuff is funky. Quake 3 on the Dreamcast you know, would have benefited from a second analog stick. I think we all agree. Um, I think uh, I think I'm getting the C4 nose itch. That's how you know it's working. From drinking this energy drink. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, the I think the Dreamcast, I, I you know, there are a lot of weird ports on Dreamcast that really don't have a ton of value in this day and age. Um and we do live in an era now where like playing the arcade versions of some of these games is possible. And so you have a situation where, yeah, Capcom versus S and two was on dreamcast, but now it's relatively trivial to just play the arcade game on your PC. Um, and like a lot of Naomi games, you can just play on PC now and, and they play quite well. And so when you take that stuff into account, I think you do end up with a slightly different conversation about what we're, what we're really talking about. But yeah, I don't know. You know, it, I, I think that I, I don't think it's necessarily the case that, uh, that all of the Dreamcast games were released in better forms elsewhere. It's not, um, you know, it, that it, it is not the, uh, I feel that way a lot about European home computers where people will swear by the Amiga version of some arcade game because they never saw the arcade game when they were growing up or the people who were like, no, Gianna sisters. Now that's a video game. And I'm like, look, yes, but also come on. Have you seen this super Mario Brothers? Like the idea of like, Oh man, fucking, I, I'm, I don't even know what, uh, Hey, uh, afterburner on the Amiga is incredible or, you know, or, 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 you know, a case like, Oh, final fight on the X 68,000 is actually a really good example. 
where at the time that version of final fight was about as arcade perfect as you could get. And you're like, Holy smokes, this is a great version of this game. But nowadays, uh, you know, I can run the arcade version of final fight on, you know, this empty can or you know, like, like the, the zillion different ways you can emulate the arcade version of that game directly ends up meaning that like the amazing home port that came to a Japanese home computer is, is far less interesting or it's academically interesting rather than like, no, you need to go out and get one of these computers because that's the right version to play. It's like, no, man, I can, I have a mister. I can play the arcade version of final fight there. I have a, you know, I have a PC. I can play the arcade version of final fight there. I have an Xbox. I can play the arcade version. Even, even Capcom has released legal versions of Final Fight that you can play in a lot of different places that play just fine. So, so I think about that in terms of like a lot of European computers because of this. I don't know what it was. It just felt like there were a lot of European computer users that maybe just never saw the arcade versions upon which a lot of that stuff was based. And so they swear by this specific port here and there. Um, but the Dreamcast, I don't think falls into that category as often i will say that you know yeah like remember it wasn't that long ago i was streaming the dreamcast version of soldier of fortune which is ridiculous that soldier of fortune came out on a console and it's the you play it and you go like oh well yeah they did a noble job of porting this game to dreamcast and you know the control choices they had to make because of the dreamcast controller are very odd and you look at it and go like this is a competent port of this game in a highly compromised way compared to the PC version. And it's neat that they did it, but it doesn't necessarily hold a ton of value now, unless you're looking at like from a perspective of like, look at all the hoops they had to jump through to try to make soldier of fricking fortune run on a dreamcast and run on a dreamcast controller. Really bizarre. And I think that that's the, that's it's more that sort of situation. We're like, yeah, Unreal Tournament or whatever on Dreamcast. You're like, okay. Split screen, huh? No thanks. I'm good. Speaking of Sega, Aaron from Wisconsin says, after Sega's success with Like a Dragon, does this mean we could see the return of another single-player turn-based game from Sega? That's a, that's a reach. Since the last single-player Fantasy Star was 1993, isn't it time for a reboot, remake, or a new game? Or is there some weird reason this hasn't been attempted? Look. I would love to visit the dimension where Fantasy Star became the dominant single-player role-playing game of choice and that Final Fantasy VII never happened. And instead, Fantasy Star went on to be massive. The, the Fantasy Star games ended up getting that level of treatment. And the Fantasy Star games ended up, they expanded on those concepts. Um, I would love to be there. I would love to be there in that world. But it didn't happen. Um... It just didn't happen. I think Fantasy Star 2 is an amazing video game of its day. I think Fantasy Star 3, I like it. A lot of people talk a lot of shit about Fantasy Star 3. I think those people are bad people. 
Fantasy Star 4, I was I had kind of grown out of the genre at that point, but I know people love Fantasy Star 4 and I thought it was cool. Um from what I what from what I have gone back and played of it, but like at the time I was not going to go spend Fantasy Star 4 amounts of money on a Genesis cartridge. Um <clears throat> But no, it just it's not popular. Fantasy Star is not popular enough to warrant that treatment. Like if Sega said, "Hey, we're we're reboot we're coming out with a new Fantasy Star game." And they go like, "Oh, you mean like Fantasy Star Online?" No, I mean Fantasy Star. Because remember, that's that's like a pretty different thing. The the bits and pieces, the bones are similar, but like the sci-fi cyberspace kind of like neon look of Fantasy Star Online was new to fantasy star online you know and uh the the single player games in the line didn't really have that vibe similar concepts in fantasy star 2 you had a guy with a gun uh you know you did have rangers you did you know those sorts of things but um yeah yeah that's uh yeah near say says star ocean took over from where fantasy star left off i guess you're not yeah i guess you're not wrong I guess you're not wrong. I don't know. Star Ocean never really did it for me, though. But, uh... uh I, uh... I don't know. I, I don't know that I would say that Fantasy Star 2 has aged especially well to... As someone who's gone back to the original cartridge a handful of times, I don't think that it... I, I don't think every facet of it holds up. It's kind of hard to go back to. There's a lot of stuff when they when they re-release it, they put in little shortcuts sometimes about like, oh, you can turn off random encounters, you can turn off this. And I think that really helps. Uh that really helps with some of those games for sure. Uh but I just, you know, I don't know. I, I think Fantasy Star Online was kind of more popular. And uh and it that would they would iterate on that more. And they have over the years, whether it was like Fantasy Star Portable or Obviously, Fantasy Star Online 2, New Genesis nowadays, like they've gone and turned it into a free-to-play thing and and everything there. I, you know, and you think about Sega as a company now, look, what they should do, what if you took the Persona team what if you took Atlas and said, make a new fantasy star game? Right? I mean, that would be the thing you would do. Because you're trying to make that style of Japanese role-playing game. And what that means today means something very different from what it meant in, you know, the early nineties, you know, when, when those games were coming out on Genesis and, and even on the master system in the eighties. Um, and so could you take elements of what those games do elements of, of what the Shin Megami Tensei games have done? And could you apply some of that to a fantasy star setting? I don't think you are necessarily out there capturing monsters or parlaying with them. Maybe you are fucking, you know, there's no reason you couldn't be in that universe. They could do something end conversation with dark falls where you're just like, you're just misunderstood and I'm going to parlay with you. And then you're going to join my party. Right? No. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think uh, there are elements of the, um, 
the Mega Ten games that I would necessarily bring over <laughs> into Fantasy Star. But if you had that team make a more traditional Japanese role playing game, you know, cinematic style, whatever, whatever, I, you know, there's no reason why you couldn't do it. Um, and I think that would even be honestly, you know, I I think what I would rather see than that, if we're really talking about what could the Persona team lend to this, is if you sat down with the Fantasy Star Online universe and characters and world and told a Persona style story in that universe. Because look at the fucking cutscenes in PSO2 and all this anime fucking like they are at the low end. It is low tier anime content in PSO2 New Genesis. Those cutscenes are abysmal. The player relationships are non-existent. It is it could be done so much better. And if you handed that off to the Persona team, a team that has made them some social links over the years, I think that that is something that they would they would be much better at doing that end of the game, if that makes any sense. I don't think any of it makes business sense, honestly. If we're talking for real, I don't think any of it makes any business sense. But wouldn't it be cool... If we got a persona style story that was like told in the future and a more cybery kind of like PSO vibe to it, I think that'd be what if you just retold the Fantasy Star Online the animation story of kids in school walking around with Vitas? We're gonna open a brand new gate here. All right. Yes. Now this is the this okay, this is the pitch. Fantasy Star Online, the animation, the game from the Persona team because it's kids in high school that like to play PSO2. So instead of going into the dungeons or putting on the glasses or jumping into the televisions or shooting yourself in the head with a gun, you're turning on your Vita to play PSO2. And then when you're not doing that, you're going on dates with the people in your posse and sometimes you're going on PSO2 dates with them. Fantasy Star Universe was kind of like that. Was it? I, I played PSU, but I don't I don't remember a goddamn thing about it. <laughs> um I remember thinking it was kind of okay, but uh Yeah, I don't know. It's it's been a while. But I, I did play PSU was the Xbox 360 one, right? I played whatever that one was. And I remember thinking it was okay, but also they were charging to play. They were still on the hunter's license kick of like trying to charge a monthly fee to play the game. And no, thank you. (laughs) That, that game never warranted that level of support. I just don't feel like they, for what, for what else was out there at the time, charging money for monthly subscriptions, the, the fantasy star stuff always felt way too thin to me. I occasionally think about um, playing those games again. PSU and I never did play Fantasy Star Portable or Zero or any of the the, <clears throat> the DS or Vita or PSP or any, any of those things. Whatever they were coming out on. like I, The Portable Fantasy Star games. I, I never really fucked with any of those. Um, let's see here.
Last question here. Michael from Kansas City, Missouri writes in and uh, says in last week's podcast, you were covering Ubisoft's marketing issues and being surprised to learn about a Rabbids game that you thought might not be real, but in fact was. This got me thinking with the recent unfortunate layoffs across games media, along with publication closures, how are companies intending to tell us about their games? Are we going to become reliant on console dashboards to become cluttered with even more ads? or dependent on TikTok videos, social media influencers, or large-scale awards shows? Does all of video game marketing rest on Jeff Keighley's shoulders now? Where will we go to stay in the know? Well, you know, look, and the, I, I, you know, the, the discovery is one of the hardest things happening in, in gaming right now. And discovery is something that uh, the console storefronts do horribly. Steam is not amazing at it. The Epic Store is not awesome at it. Um, so I think that, you know, you're writing into a podcast. And so, like, that is a role that I still partially can play. I don't know how many times I'm telling people about a game for the first time. Because I, I feel like, you know, the I'm speaking to people, by and large, that are already quite into video games. And so, you know, there, there's definitely situations where like, yeah, you, you were going to know about a game the same time I am in, in some cases. And so, um, but yeah, this is a process that started a while ago when, when publishers started their own YouTube channels and started, um, interviewing themselves. And this is something that EA did really big. Um, don't be so, Someone here wrote, uh, Obotech wrote, we'll always have game facts for better or worse. Hey, I, you sure? Huh? I don't know. Um, you always have the archive.org dump of everything that's on game facts. Um, so yeah, so I, I think that a lot of publishers decided that they were going to just try to have, um, their own YouTube channel and their own, their own stuff and just do it themselves and, and stop relying on, because you know, look the video game press, what a hassle, right? You don't own them. So you can't control the questions they ask They're You know, they're all, they might say a game is bad and that you shouldn't buy it. So why do it with them when you can just interview yourself and say, this game's great. You should really pre-order it. <laughs> You know, or or go work with someone who is in that, that influencer role where they are more than willing to do a sponsored stream and not say, you know, negative things about a game while they're streaming it. And and I you look at that and go like, oh, that's dirty. It's like, no, it just makes sense. If I was in the position to market a video game, are you going to rely on the press that you're going to pitch them and they might say no or they might not be interested in the game or they might, you know... They might not like it in the end, you know, like, fuck that, man. Go with something that you can control the outcome of. Pay someone to fucking say nice things about it. It's, it's a no fucking brainer. Um, so, you know, yeah, but, but also there are a ton of smaller publishers who can't afford that. And so that's, that's the rub, right? Is EA is always going to find a pipeline to get a game to you. They can market on television. They can, you know, they can figure shit out. 
Um, but for smaller teams, individuals, indie publishers, smaller, you know, big publishers, it's, it ends up being really difficult for them to reach an audience just to say, Hey, our game exists. And so people in positions like mine are in a position where that, you know, if, if that's a game I like, I can evangelize it a little bit and say, Hey, you should check this out. Hey, you should check out uh tunic. Hey, you should check out arcade paradise. Like, you know, these games that are, that don't always have on well, tunic tunic. Did, I'm sure it did fine. It was in game pass. Like it, was, it showed up at E3, but like arcade paradise felt like something that kind of came out of nowhere. Um, and, um, so I think there's always going to be smaller games like that, that are going to be reliant on, on like media coverage or whatever. But then on the other side of that, you hear stories from, um, something I think I heard Kelly Wallach say, you know, but it was like, you know, kind of in and around indie developers and that scene as they try to figure out the answer to the same question about like, how the hell do I get my game in front of people? And they would tell you that the media doesn't actually help the way you think it would. And that in some cases, a paid stream or whatever can help, but even that doesn't necessarily move the needle. And so you've had a lot of these conversations swing back and forth as people try to figure it out, big companies and small, where for the longest time you had, uh, you know, a company like EA partnering with a ton of influencers and, and going that route. And I'm not saying EA here specifically, but this is something I did here uh, from a handful of different publishers is that they went heavy into that end of things and started doing a bunch of paid streams for their bigger games. And it didn't do anything for them. It did not move the needle. They would pay someone who had tens of thousands of people watching a live stream to stream their game and, and not talk bad about it or whatever. And it wouldn't translate into sales of the game. And so if they go through that process and can't direct it to a number of like, we spent this money on marketing and here's the amount that it brought in. If they can't make that make sense, then they don't do it. They don't do it anymore. And so you have some companies that have stepped back from that, but they didn't step back to that and then go right back to the media. I mean, the relationship with the media is the same as it always has, but the media has changed. IGN is really the only big, big, big outlet left that I think has a big enough staff to cover all the weird bases and, and play that game the way it was played for the last 15 years, 20 years. And so you end up in a situation where you've got a ton of smaller outlets that are, you know, like, like, uh, you know, Kotaku is not going to write like a, that it's not their beat. They don't, they're not going to be like, here's our hands-on preview of this game. And it's incredible, you know, or it's, you know, whatever. And then go on to write a traditional review that is going to direct people to, you know, pre-ordering a game, buying a game, whatever. It's just not, that's not their beat. And it hasn't really ever been their beat. And so you have a lot of different smaller publications um, but like they're coming at things from all different angles. And so the generalist, the way that GameSpot would cover games, the way that IGN would cover games, um, doesn't exist in great quantities anymore. And I don't get the impression that they are pulling in. They're not the, the tastemakers that they used to be because it all got diluted. And because you've got Twitch streamers, you've got people on YouTube, you know, there's so many different pockets now that are really big pockets from really big streamers, from really big people on YouTube that are pulling in numbers of views that dwarf, you know, what IGN does in the same space, right? IGN benefits, you know, IGN has a big social presence and so they can, you know, GameSpot has a big social presence. They can sell sponsored Twitch, they can sell sponsored 
Twitter posts or whatever, but now Twitter is completely blown up and the return on investment for like a sponsored Twitter post is basically fucking zero. So that, that business is probably blown up. Um, and so, yes, it's a great question. How do people find out about games now? And I think it's an amalgamation of word of mouth. It's from all of these pockets that are again, a variety of sizes. I don't feel like I'm especially big in that world. I'm not, you know, I'm not like, honestly. Right. I mean, like, let's be blunt about it. Like I'm running a, a pretty successful single person business here and I have hopes to expand and so on and so forth, but I'm not out here pulling in a million views on a YouTube video and getting sponsored this and that. And you know, that's not the game I'm even necessarily trying to play. So you have a lot of different pockets of people, both big and small and everywhere in between. And I'd, I'd probably put myself somewhere in the in between, I guess. Um, that are out there talking about games all the time. And so how do you reach them? How do you get your message to them so that they relay it to their audience? Some people will sell access to their audience to you. Some people won't. And so there's different ways to work with all of them and it's a mess. And so if you're a small studio, you're not going to have the the people in place to, to do all of that work. You're going to have a series of community managers and, and producers and, you know, like people in different roles that have different relationships and, you know, I've had indie games where like I knew the person who was the producer on it and they were the person who said like, hey, we're doing this thing. You should check it out. It wasn't a traditional like PR firm getting in touch. It's always funny when like, you know, there's like a game that I know about and have been playing for a long time because someone on the team said, hey, uh, you should check this thing out. And I was like, oh, okay. Oh, you're working on this thing. Oh, I'll give it a look. And then like a month later or two weeks later had like a PR person go like, have you heard of the this game? I'm like, yeah, I, I, I'm on. Well, yes. I, I'm aware of what this, yes, I'm aware of this video game. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know, but it, I, I think it's, it's different across the board and there's no one right answer, which is really frustrating to people that want to have like a really good, um, simple, repeatable pipeline of like, how do we turn, how do we get word out about our game? Um, Jeff could be the Joe Rogan of games podcasting. If I, if, if he applied himself, like how, how exactly do I apply? Are you saying I need to do more DMT and say the dumbest shit imaginable? Is that the, like, how do I, how do I grow a podcast business? I'm very interested to hear people's thoughts on this because I have a ton of thoughts on it. Uh, but <laughs> Yeah. Yes. All right. Yes. We'll do a bunch of DMT and play Mr. Driller. That's where the money's at. Right. Um, and the stupidest guests. Yeah. That's Hey, I want to bring in some smart guests actually. Uh, that's, that's kind of on the list. Right. But, uh, but yeah, man, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, I think that this is a, this is an ongoing conversation that I think is happening across all media. And it's not just video games. It is, it is, there is a lot of like, how do you reach people to let them know that a TV show exists? Right. Did you know that there's a new night court? There's a new night court. Maybe that's not something they need to market to people because the, the ideal audience for a new night court is people who accidentally left the TV on. Um, but there's a new night court 
And the judge is meant to be the original is meant to be Harry Stone's daughter. And Dan Larroquette is on it. It's playing the same role, obviously, you know, yeah, he's or John, John Larroquette. He plays Dan Fielding, John Larroquette, not Dan Larroquette. Um, weird, right? Uh, and so how do I know I found out about that after they had aired three episodes of it. And that would have been something that I, I would have ostensibly been like, huh, maybe would not have watched, but I am probably in some kind of target demographic for a night court reboot. <laughs> um, where does it air? No idea. Is it on Peacock or something? I don't know. And, and that's, that's part of why there's a problem. And when we get to more and more subscription services and gaming, that's going to get weirder too, right? Of like, you know, you already see it with some mobile games being exclusive to Netflix, which I think is a terrible fucking thing. Uh, as someone, as someone who is not a, um, Netflix subscriber, Already, I am not going to subscribe to Netflix to play the four video games they have. Period. I am not going to jump through those hoops to play some mobile games. Now, hey, if you already subscribe to Netflix, then they have some video games you can play. And you're like, oh, neat. But like, no, no. Not a good way to reach me uh, as a game player. Um... But yeah, I think that this is a problem across the board is, is how do you reach these people, especially as we as everything disappears down into different subscription holes, whether you're like, is this on HBO Max? And this is, a, you know, we, we're at a point now where like multiple sites have tried to be the site that says, here's what streaming service this television program is on, where you're like, where can I even go to watch this? Multiple websites have sprung up and services trying to answer that question for people because that's how bad it has gotten. And they wonder. Why piracy might be on the rise again. Like, oh my, is, are people going to go pay 15 bucks a month, nine times over to like, well, I don't know. I guess I'm done watching Ted Lasso, but I'll keep the subscription active. Like who the fuck's going to do that? So instead it's like, oh, well I got to cancel this one. And now I got, oh, there's a thing on HBO max. I want to sign up for, for three months and I'll sign up for this for a month and, and binge watch this one show and then switch over to this. And then... Fuck that. Fuck that. You know what's easier to do? Not watch any of that shit. I'm sure a lot of it's very good, but I I don't I do not want to negotiate with that landscape at all. It's just not worth it. But I hear there's a new night court, so I don't know. There's a part of me that wants to at least like go find a trailer or, or something. Let's see what that looks like. See if they remix the theme song. Or if it's just the same theme song. I assume it's like a, a, a re-recording, an interpolation of the original theme. But if they kept the funky bass line, then, you know. Yeah, they just do a dubstep remix of the fucking... Where's my dubstep remix of the Nightcore theme? Can we get that up? Producer, can we get that? I don't have it. Fuck. This is why I gotta get a producer. Anyway, I'm going to get going. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Um, AI, subscription services, it's, a, it's a layoffs. It's a, the, it's a landscape hell out there. 
it's a hell out there. I don't know if you've noticed, but uh, you know, it's uh, it's it's fucking bizarre. Where we live at, at the intersection of a very bizarre set of technologies that are coming together in ways that are going to really fuck up a lot of things in, and on the other side of that, that that technology seems fascinating. Um, and, and, and exciting in some ways, but also the terrifying in others, you know? Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how this stuff goes. We'll be back tomorrow. Me and my producer, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Um, 10 a.m. Pacific time. I mean, you know, look at, take, take me for an example here. I mean, take the career trajectory of like, what the fuck, like the shit that I have fucking seen. Like when I started, it was all text. And, uh, and one of the things that we did was we wanted to have gameplay footage of every video game up on the website so that people could see what a game looked like. And that's where it all started. I was like, here's a 30 second clip of a game in action. And that's all we can afford to show you. Uh, and you know, then over the years, my skills at reading a teleprompter became incredibly vital because we started doing more and more video and, and, and all of that became the job, you know, and there was still a lot of text because you had to write it to read it. And eh, then, you know, that stuff just started mattering less and less for my specific end of things. But I guess what I was getting at is like, at one point I had a thought of, man, it would be cool to do this on television. And that was back in the days when we were doing on the spot and, and shows like that, that I thought like, man, the stuff that I see on television about video games is so surface level. It is such fucking bullshit. It is, it is the epitome of fucking just entry-level coverage of video games. I know we could fucking do better than that. And we were doing better than that on the internet. And, and, it, and it comes from like looking at some of the stuff that's out there and going like, man, look at this bullshit. And, and I, I thought, like, oh man, it would be really great to be It'd be really great to get a show on television on a regular basis. And we did end up having a ton of stuff air on weird cable channels. We did a deal with some HD company called Voom. It was called Voom. And so our content got repurposed for these HD stations and, and, and whatever. But like, and we, you know, we did little bits and pieces. Like there's the stuff we did with G4 and, and, and whatever else. But like, um, you know, at some point, like it was funny. We had someone come in in like, oh, seven, Right before I was out of there, someone came in and said, this on the spot show needs to be a broadcast hour. It needs to be exactly 44 minutes. No more, no less. We were going like 90 or something. And, um, and at first I was like, oh, fucking shit. Yeah, man, this guy's going to come in. He's got a television background and, and he's going to get us on fucking TV. Finally, someone fucking recognizes. And I was like, cool, man. Are you going to like, and, and once we get there, is this something that we're going to pitch to TV? He's like, oh, no. Absolutely not. Anyway, I'm bringing in a bunch of my friends from LA to read off teleprompter about uh, fashion for some, one of these other websites. I got to go. And it was like, what the fuck is happening? So it was like pointless. Um, anyway, that used to be a, a meaningful goal, right? To be like, oh, to reach more people, we should get on television. Now, fuck no. 
Absolutely not. Like, like, no. You would not go, oh, we got to get on television. Like, hmm. Television is meaningless. Unless you're trying to reach the demographic that still watches television, which is, you know, not an audience that, you you know, is necessarily going to be open to video game coverage. It's why this G4 reboot always seemed like a really insane concept. Uh, even though, I guess, did it even, I guess it made it to some television, but was mostly not on TV. Um, but just, just now it's like, no, fuck that. Like I, this, that is not the, that is not the the goal at all. I think the way to reach a mainstream audience has completely changed, you know? And, and that's more what I'm talking about. Like, look at, look at what has happened over the years and, and, and also look at how the technology has become democratized in such a way that I can do this right here, right now by myself with a modicum, like a smattering of gear. Um, so whatever I, you know, I, yeah, I, the, yes, the goal now is to get this show in Fortnite. I want this show to be the, the radio show inside of Warframe. I want to reach the Warframe masses, those lunatics. Um, anyway, I, what am I talking? I gotta go, uh, have a good rest of your Tuesday. Tomorrow is Wednesday. And tomorrow is also the day of Microsoft's, um, what are they calling it? Developer, developer breakdown, developer do, do, do. Yes. They're calling it. We shop Wednesday. Um, And we'll talk over that, I guess. I don't know. We'll watch that together tomorrow. I'll be on 10 a.m. so that we'll we'll do some other streaming. And uh, and then we'll get into this Microsoft thing and see what it's all about. That's the plan, anyway. I'll let you know if anything changes. Uh, in the meantime, hang in there. Like I said, we exist. It's a very strange crossroads right now with everything, the technology the the people the the economy it's it's all it's all bad be good to each other stay human now stay continue to have a human brain if you want to replace your arms with cool robotic limbs and and all that i'm not going to stop you i think that'd be cool as hell i mean i'd live in a computer if they'd let me Have a good one, everybody.